Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. What the fuck is this Pepsi Cola shit? Today, I'm sponsored by Pepsi. Dude, I got the Death Wish. Diet Pepsi. Yeah, Death Wish water. Actually, I could be actually drinking out of Deathwish cup, but I don't have my Deathwish coffee. Yeah, when the, that, that those fucking ice in there clicking, it's like Phil Eisenhower's on the show. Jim's like, I'll make sure I mute my. I'll make sure I mute my side when I do that. Like, next time he's going to Seven Eleven, he's going to stand in front of the drink machine. <laughs> it's ice out. It's right down the street. <laughs> I know I you could, can walk there, couldn't you, Jim? I could literally walk. <laughs> I hope Phil listens to this episode. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, shit, we got some. We got some news. We hit. We had ten thousand views. We did. Or listens. It's it, we ten thousand listens. Ten. 000. We're probably approaching ten thousand views on the YouTube channel at this point. Yeah. Now nah, we're probably at six thousand or something. But um, um, yeah, I've got a couple of videos coming up. Um, I, yeah, I've got, this week. I think we have three that are over a thousand now. So mm-hmm. we probably have. Between that and other videos, we probably have we're probably approaching. We'll, we'll hit ten thousand views this year for sure, probably. Um, so I didn't get I, I first news for you. I didn't get the uh, the video done for the uh, the Great Lakes pickups yet. Okay. It will be done. I went to go do it, and my guitar is all out of whack, and I took it in to get it worked on. Oh yeah, so it'll be back later this week, and then when I do that, I'll be able to swap and do all the. Video. I got all my equipment here. I'm ready to go. I just haven't done it yet. So. I dropped the Ibanez off <coughs> last week, and um, it should be back tomorrow. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get around it. I mean, doing it pro bono, so it's, you know, I can't be sure. Sure. Uh, um, John, John will see his pickups this week, hopefully. Okay, cool. Well, I hope he enjoys them, because I was playing my SG. I'm looking at it right now. It's on the wall here. Yeah. Um, if you've been following Instagram, you'd know that, because I posted about it today. And uh, I'm just looking at my pickups and going, ooh, they're really good. They're really good. Yeah. I was playing them earlier. They're really, really good. Um, so wanted to talk about the 10,000 views. Like, it's really cool because we, you know, we're, what, this is like episode 110 and 111, somewhere in there. 
Um, we've made the switch to going back to, uh, you know, one episode per week. Um, and surprisingly, our views haven't dropped off, which right. is pretty amazing to me. If you haven't listened to the show for very long, you can get all our back episodes. Yeah. Some of them are quite good. Um, some of them are funny. Uh, and I would highly recommend just go through the back episodes. And we know some of you are, cause I see it. Yeah. Um, Our level of silliness, uh, does not discontinue <laughs> anywhere. No, uh, that's for sure. We've gotten better at this, but I, but I feel like every once in a while, we still need to throw a monkey wrench into the work so that we can be uncomfortable and do stupid stuff. Yes. Um, which is why this week I'm not reading from a book. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm reading from the book instead. Um, <laughs> if you, if the book, if the book literally has four notes written in it. So <laughs> yeah literally like notes. i literally write out everything when i yeah it's, which is kind of bad probably because it, then it feels scripted and probably comes across a little more scripted you can tell when we go off on the rails oh yeah yeah like we are right now um so ten thousand views thank you listeners for for giving our ten thousand listens i keep saying views it's ten thousand it's because my note says views but listens thank you for downloading ten thousand episodes of this podcast and um, we appreciate your support. If you're not involved and you're kind of like lurking and listening and not involved in the Facebook group or Instagram or even on the YouTube channel or anything like that, feel free to get involved. Like we, we'd like to have people interact and we'd like to get suggestions and, and uh, work, you know, go back and forth with our, our listeners. Um, so uh, I think that, um, that being what it is, I think we want to go ahead and announce that next week we're going to do an open episode um, we'll try to do it earlier in the evening. If you're a member of the Facebook group, you'll see the details for that because uh, we haven't decided what time we're going to do it, but it will be on Sunday. So if you're available on Sunday, um, chances are you'll have an opportunity to kick it with us for a little bit and record an episode. Yeah, um, I think it'll be a good idea to put some put that in the video so that we can. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'll mention that. And I'll probably actually we'll do a separate video as an announcement. Um, uh, we do this podcast now via zoom. So it's just going to be a meeting number I give you and then you log in and it's, it's really cool. You don't have to have a webcam. If you just have a yeah. microphone, if you have a webcam, great. Um, I think we actually did video record and upload the last one. I'm not sure. Yeah. I know we video yeah. record every episode, but yep. you don't need to give out your email address. You don't need to do anything like that. You don't need to sign yeah. up for any services. You just download the app. And Tim and I don't, we don't, we don't stalk you or anything. We do. We, we don't have time for that. <laughs> So, don't care. We obviously don't care enough because we're not one of those. We're not one of those groups that gets ten thousand views in five minutes. Uh, we <laughs> we have to work for it. Yeah, we really did work for it. Um, so here we are uh, talking about things that, that several of which came from listeners to the show. Um, but I want to start off with the four cable method, Jim. Yeah. So <laughs> um, uh, this week I did. Uh, I'll be putting up a video this week about it. Um, I've been doing a lot of practicing for, uh, I got a couple of gigs coming up and, uh, I'm I'm kind of, um, behind in some of my solos, but anyway, so, uh, with the HX effects, which I now have locked down to my pedal board. Yeah. I can't move. (laughs) It will not move. It is. It is not. I told you that stuff was legit, man. Call that called dual lock or dual Dual lock. Dual lock. Yeah. So I went to, um, Lowe's or Home Depot, whatever it was. And I picked up some dual lock. And uh, yeah, it's locked down. It's not going anywhere. Um, and I've got the uh, the magnets on order for uh, from Sweetwater for uh, the amp one. So anyway, I <clears throat> I didn't want to let go of all my pedals 
right away. And I, and I'm sure as time goes on, I'm going to have to, you know, want to do things differently. So I went to four cable method. The thing I wanted to talk about with four cable method wasn't how you do it. I mean, there's a million places you want to go somewhere and see it. Yeah. Just Google it. Cable and they'll method. explain it and it'll be less boring than us. And it will be a lot less boring than listening to it. So what I wanted to talk about with four cable method wasn't the four cable method um, so much as when you do a four cable method, the one thing you've got to think about is you've got to start thinking about your cable link. And by the way, I asked John Schur, John Schur himself today um, one of the questions that I had uh, about the four cable method. I'll get to that when I, when I get there. You, so, mean, you mean John Sir? John Sir? Yeah, Sir. John Pensa Sir? John Sewer. I know his name is not Pensa Sir, but yeah. Sewer. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, it was, it was actually him that answered it. And actually Pete Thorne answered me as well. Um, cool. if, you, if you wonder, um, if you go to Pete Thorne's, um, Sunday live that was recorded today, uh, I'm, he answers my question right on there. So if you want to hear Pete, tell you the same exact thing, you can tune into that as well. Anyway, and, uh, you can see John answering. Hey, maybe he has that. more credibility than us. Probably. And, and there's a lot of credibility <laughs> to be had there. I just wanted to make sure because I did get a question from the users on this. So that's why I'm going to this. So the biggest thing about a uh, four cable method is you add a lot of cable. You think about it. So I'm going to go over some of the footage um, that I've got in my, in my chain. If you think about it, I've got patch cables from my volume pedal to my wah, from my wah to the input of the HX effects, from the HX effects send into my tuner from the tuner to the um fuzz from the fuzz to the bd2 for the bd2 i'm doing this on purpose because it's a lot of cable yeah to the, the paisy drive from the paisy drive back to the hx effects from the hx effects back out to the sparkle drive from the sparkle drive into the return of the uh amp and i'm sure i left one out there somewhere so in other words i've got probably i don't know 12, 15 K. I'm, I'm actually going to measure it and talk about that when I do the video, but probably got 12, 15 K bit of cable there. So what's the one thing that can happen when you put all that cable in? There? Well, obviously you're going to get signal degradation, right? I say obviously because I, without even knowing what Pete Thorne and John sir told you, if your stuff is buffered, right. You should be okay. And the HX effects, is buffered. Correct. Every send loop input on there is buffered. Now, and I have two buffered pedals in the chain. Um, now they have they have they don't call it true bypass, but they have um, they have like a, a bypass on there so that when you have a dry signal going through the HX effects, that it's literally your dry signal. It it bypasses AD conversion. That's my understanding. Yep. Um. If, if I'm wrong on that, please correct me in the group and, and we'll issue a correction next episode. But I, if I recall, that's one of the big HXFX features is the fact that it has the, um, the uh, Strangman does it too. I forget what they call it. There's a name for it. But but that wasn't what I asked them. Believe but, it or not. Oh, okay. I knew about that. I knew about buffering. Yeah. I have a buffered TU2 in the beginning of the, of the chain and further down the train, a buffered foster, um, driver. Yeah. Or a BD, uh, boss BD2, blues track. So um, the question I asked is because now the amp one is going to be at my pedal board, which means it could be as far as 25 or 30 feet away from me. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know, is that going to affect signal degradation to the um, speaker? 
Oh yeah, using a speaker cable, right? Yep, using speaker cable. Of course, you want to use speaker cable. Anybody that's not using speaker cable going to a speaker. Uh, yeah, you might, as well just, you might as well just uh, stick your fingers in an electrical socket. Yeah. <laughs> let me have that, go, let me have that go for you. Yeah. Obviously, I'm being facetious. Do not stick your fingers in an electrical socket and sue our show. Please don't. Right. <laughs> right. Do not try this at home. Yes. No, but, so, uh, he, um, John said it's no problem. He said it doesn't matter how far you do it. As long as you're using um, decent uh, higher which means the number needs to be lower um, uh, speaker cable, the gauge of the speaker cable. Right. So they recommend, you know, don't get 16 gauge speaker cable, get lower gauge speaker cable. Yeah, I like the Conquest audio stuff. If anybody has, because I think Conquest is like a local company. If anybody has that in their area, I've got a like a one foot Conquest cable that's like like my forearm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the stuff you're going to be, and uh, so... Uh, Pete was telling um, on the show, he's got 80 to 100 foot runs between his heads in his studio and where they're isolated in rooms over. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like a run up into the ceiling, across the ceiling and down. No, I know it could be done. I just didn't know. I, I, I'm surprised. This is actually an interesting question because I yeah. hadn't thought about speaker cable runs like that. But I always assume the speaker cable, because, of the, because typically you want a higher gauge anyway, that long lengths were not going to be an issue. And it's mostly because the speaker cable is not as prone to magnetic interference, radio wave interference and things like that um, as, you know, low voltage cable. Because essentially that's what your guitar cable is. Like it, it's the same thing as like low voltage Ethernet cable in the sense that it doesn't really have a lot of electricity flowing through it. So the shielding okay. is active. And then, you know, there's just there's a whole bunch of reasons that contribute to that. But essentially, if you have good quality cable, then you're fine, I guess. So in, in reality, the better thing is to get the head closer to you, the speakers away, than the um than have the uh whole thing like way away. Like if you've got a combo. Yeah. If you if you think about it from that perspective, yeah, because then you don't necessarily need a buffer for the yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. That's, a, that's I, I an exciting that. fact. That was that was a pretty cool piece of information. Um you know, usually, I mean, he said, well, you know, we have them in studios and of course, you know, you've got the, the amp heads in the studio and you've got the amps and isolation booths or isolation yeah. rooms. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I can understand you have a head in the isolation, I mean, in the studio because that's where the controls are and you pretty much want to tweak that head every now and again. You don't want to have to go to an isolation booth to do it. Well, there's your, there's your answer to why, why that works out pretty well. So anyway, that was, that was an interesting piece of information. The other piece of information I thought was interesting, which you might be interested in, if you're doing something like this, is lower impedance um, speakers are more susceptible for the need for higher gauge cable. Correct. Higher impedance speakers. So if you have a 16 ohm speaker, the run isn't as uh, um, isn't going to you know you're you're going to have a fine you're going to be fine with like 12 gauge or 10 gauge yeah. wire where um, if you're running a four ohm, you want to make sure you're down like eight, eight gauge and stuff like that. Yeah. Big, bigger wire. Yep. Um, and that kind of makes sense, I guess. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, so the cabinets are one thing I saw a cool product. I'm sitting here. I just got this today. This is the big ass Sweetwater pro gear catalog. I just got mine. And you guys can probably hear me flipping through it on the podcast, but I'm looking for, um, Oh wait, there's ice. Uh, I think, yeah, there's ice and um, if you wait a minute, I might even drop a deuce on the show. Uh, 
we're not, all right. We're not even going there. I, I would definitely not take this show into the toilet. No. Um, I would use toilet humor, but not take the show into the toilet. Right. Um, so that's, no, that's all. Over. I'm excited about something while you're flipping through there. Yeah, and that's go, the sure. <clears throat> Sweetwater. It's relatively recent. I'm not saying it's like within the last few days or whatever, but it's relatively recent that Sweetwater has got Mesa's um, back on, on board. Uh, well, they've had no, they've had Mesa, but they just don't have a lot in stock, right? Um, and you can call them up, and they'll they'll have one built for you and send it to you. Um, but you could probably just call Mesa and do that. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for so Mesa Boogie obviously has their line of pedals, right? And it's not you know their line of pedals are one thing. Like, oh, I'm looking in the wrong place. That's why. Um, so they have this thing. Actually, I have the. I was going through my paperwork. I have all this old paperwork sitting on my desk and I spent pretty much my whole day shredding. I felt like I worked for Enron, um, <laughs> which I told my wife I would make that joke on the podcast, but I did. Um, she's glaring at me from behind me right now. It's, it's quite amusing. Um, which is uh, first off I'm flipping through the effects section and I see the amp one is listed as an effect. Come on. Yeah. Guys, see? Get shit together. It's listed um, as a pedal in a, in some places. Yeah, and that's that, where it's in the, with the pedals, right? That's like, that's something that Thomas, um, it, it, you know, it, when we see him at Sweetwater, we have to say, "Hey, Thomas, guess where your uh, your uh, amp is listed in the effects pedal?" And to see, so here's orange. Where in the hell is Mesa? Not the greatest place to be put if you're looking Marshall. to make sure that people understand that your um, that your machine is a 100 Mesa. watt head. Maybe they're. Um, I think there's another thing about it too, because um, while you're while you're flipping through, one of the folks in the group um, mentioned that he said, "Well, geez, can you use that as a pedal? And aren't you worried about breaking it?" And I said, "No, it's meant to be used that way, and it's built out of it's metal. It's a yeah. It's, a, um, it's not a piece cheap piece of plastic. No, that um, thing is a serious piece of hardware. Yeah, uh, here it's it is. Just very light. So Mesa has their line of pedals. They have some cool stuff." They have the throttle box EQ, which is their five band EQ uh, made for effects loops. They have, uh, so if you have like a Marshall or something and you want to use a five band, like just like the Mesa five band EQ, which if you've ever used it, that thing is legit. Um, put it on there. And in fact, even if you just set it flat, like the way that the thing actually works, it'll, it, it does a slight improvement in sound. Um, the throttle box, which is a, uh, supposed to be like a you know a boogie mark sound and then um what i thought was cool and this is what i saw and this is what i wanted to talk about the show because this relates to the four cable thing there's a thing called the high wire now if you've ever used effects loops you know not all effects loops are created equal right um there are different types of effects loops there's parallel and serial Uh, i believe the ones that we all use now are serial which is you know your amp goes out into the effects loop and comes back in and in a parallel loop, you can actually mix dry signal with it. Yep. And a lot of people don't like parallel loops. And a lot of people had parallel loops modified to be serial loops. So they, you don't see them very much anymore, but you might see one if you're like buying a head from the 80s or something. Um, but anyway, the, what the high wire does, it's a dual buffer circuit that ensures per, the perfect impedance load in your guitar's pickups while also sending the exact signal in front of your favorite amp hit these uh, for the direct in field tone feel and tone that's what they say but you know what they're marketing this thing as as also as a solution for effects loops 
because as we said, not all effects loops are created equal. Well, really what's going on there is that they're expecting to see a different impedance. So some, some effects loops are designed to work better with rack effects, which are usually typically line level. Um, or they're designed to work better with pedals, which are, you know, off, oftentimes don't put out the same little output. Um, they're, they're more like what you would get out of your instrument. So you can use this guy, and, and, and this is my understanding. I haven't seen this thing in use, and, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me in the group, but my understanding is this allows you to match the impedance to what you're supposed to be sending in and out. So it will take either a, a, like a line level signal and make it regular, or, or we'll take a, or a high impedance or whatever. Is it? Is is line high impedance or is low impedance? Low impedance, right? Low impedance. So take a line level signal and make it. I think you can actually switch back and forth. There's a there's a switch on here, um, and then you can actually you, it has a boost in it too, and it's foot switchable, so you could put it on your board if you wanted. Um, I don't. I'm sure there's hidden features to this thing. I I'm very intrigued. They came out with a, lo- a whole line of products like this, amp switchers and stuff. Um, that kind of went under the radar last year. And I I, I do kind of know what they were doing, but I, I didn't really investigate that deeply because I was like, I got a Helix right now. And it's not, it wasn't that imperative. But now that I've run the Helix and 4 cable with Mark V, like a lot more around the house lately. And I'm kind of thinking like, it would be nice to be able to control um, the signal amount that's coming out of the Helix and give just what the Mark V is wanting to see. Um, so that you know everything would play nice now i don't know if this thing is like exclusive to like mesa amps if it's geared to work well with mesas or not only or if it i mean if it works really well with other things my assumption is anything that mesa puts her name on with the exception of the cab clone will probably work really well um i don't i i have my reservations about cab clone if you use it live great I don't think it's going to be a great studio tool. I think you've got better options and things like the tor- torpedo products, but um, I don't know. It's just, it was something that, w- that jumped out of me and people don't typically think about their board and the utility items that end up on your board. Like Jim, you just bought dual lock Yep. and Jim, Jim dual locked his HX effects to the board. Um, <laughs> tell, tell me, Jim, if I put dual lock on two car bumpers and back them into one another, will they be able to pull away? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the bumpers will come off before the. You can, you can lift my board up by the helix effect. <coughs> so, just to let you know. Yeah, dual lock, yeah, folks. If you've never used dual lock and you'd like to try something as stronger than Velcro, dual lock is what you want. I have my interface is actually dual locked to my desk, and it does not move. I should do that. Your your focus right or whatever you're using. Uh, yeah, I got a. Steinberg UR22 and it's just it's literally stuck right to the bottom of my desk. Yeah, so I need not on my desk, which is nice. Right. Um, Th- that would help. You know what? I have extra because I bought a Oh yeah. No, you always have extra. And believe me, you use it very quickly because you find uses for it very quickly. You're like, wow, this is great. Yeah, I just thought you of that it. trick I told you though, where you put like you make it like a triangle so that I mean, so you can yeah. actually li- lift up the HX effects yeah. from the front. Yeah, I got two two on the left and right at the top, and then one down at the bottom, like this. It's it's about that big. But yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> Jim, Jim was showing us about an inch and you know, like three inches wide or whatever. Yeah. It's not dual lock is amazing stuff because I mean I can literally fix pedals to my pedal board with like an inch worth of dual lock. Yep. And they ain't coming off unless you're pulling no. real, real. Yeah, hard. The, I gotta do that to the 
to the little spark boost because that thing is uh I'm still I, I've been thinking, you know, when I got the sparkle boost, you remember I had the full size one and I went yeah. to the mini? I've been thinking about going back to the big one. I like the tone of the big one, but it's completely different reason. It wouldn't it wouldn't be on there. Are they do they even sound different? Yeah. Yeah. How much? The small one is just a boost. That's all it is. Oh, so okay. All it does. It doesn't do anything else. It doesn't have any What's other the big one do? Oh, it's got like um, a little tone and some. Oh, okay. Thingy. So you can just tone and that kind of thing. And I liked it. it and you, you, I mean, you heard me um, use it. And you were like, oh, that's kind of like, uh, kind of has like a TS-808 or whatever it was. A yeah, a little bit. I think I remember that. I want an exotic RB, but I think it's a RB booster, right? Mm-hmm. R bo- the the R one, not the F- AC booster. Oh, oh, okay. Um, and I, I don't know that I don't really need it. I'll be honest with you, but it would be interesting. I want to try one out. Like I don't want to buy one. Yeah, um, for me. <coughs> <coughs> Damn, Jim. Ice went down the wrong place. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> you get. That's what you get. Phil. When I yeah, Bill McCracken. <laughs> um, so no the um. Uh, I thought about, maybe I should get it. And this is me still thinking the old way and forgetting that I have a new tool. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh, you know what? I need a, um, I, I want a 10 band EQ. And I was like, hey, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you, have you, have like, you have multiple options for, you can for put it anywhere you want. It. And you don't yeah, need a like, fucking 10 band because you have a parametric. Right. That's what I was going to say. And I have parametric available to me. So I was like, hey, stupid, you've got one right there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that, that was something where I went, oh, shit. Because, you know, to take a little bit of that shrillness off, you know, when you're kicking that, when you're bumping, I was like, oh, I want to put a little EQ on the other end of it. I said, wait a minute, I don't need to do that. I can, I can get that myself. It was pretty cool. So I was playing um, uh, some uh, music, of course. That's, that's what this is all about, right? Really? I know, right? And uh, so I was, uh, I was kicking it up with the fuzz because you know how I am about, the, or I was about fuzz, right? So I was playing the fuzz that you gave me, and loving it. By the way, loving it. I cannot find a fuzz in the Helix that I like as much as this fuzz. Yeah, the, the the fuzzes in the Helix again have to, you have to have that impedance control to make them work, and I think they should just left them out of the HX effects. Yeah. The, the fact is, no, they're, they're, I was able to find a, a, a spot for some. But the thing that I like about this fuzz, that I, they, how do I say it? Um, sometimes, you know, you could have 25 pedals and it's that 26th pedal that you like. And it's <laughs> 26th pedal, right? I mean, I like the fuzzes. Don't get me wrong. There's a couple of songs, like I'm doing something from the Pretty Reckless, which okay. I have. This is how old I am. I thought this was a brand new song and it's like from 2009, but um, I didn't, I didn't even know they were a thing. So um, anyway, I was doing it and it really, there, some of the built-in fuzz really sounds good with that, but I was doing far behind and I was doing um, a song from uh, no doubt. And the electro harmonics fuzz was the thing that I needed for that. It was just, it just had the right temperament. And um, that's where, you know, when you when you get a multi effects pedal, it's a great thing. It really is, and that doesn't mean that. And this is what I love about the new multi effects pedal. It used to be when you got a multi effects pedal, the Zoom five hundred five, the you know the old um, uh, what was it Boss had early on the um, like the MEs and all that stuff. Yeah, the MEs and of course the Dent, uh, the GNX series, yeah, from yeah, yeah. and those guys. You really had no use 
there was no way to stick your pedals in there. And yeah. Now you have that. And I, I love that about the, the Helix effect is that it doesn't say, you know what, throw out your old pedals. I'm going to be the only thing for you. No, it says, you know what, you got some great pedals. There's a chance. That's right. what it says. Because I'll yeah. tell you, um, some of the stuff I use is really esoteric. You throw it in the loops and you're like very underwhelmed. <laughs> but that's only like that's only because the shit I use is just weird. It's right. ancient and and uh doesn't doesn't play nice with buffers and um but the there is a cool pedal in there and I want to talk about it. Um because you've had enough time and you should take some time to check it out. It's called the uh, Kowloon Walled Bunny. Okay, <laughs> the, you're gonna have the to KW it cow, it's it's in the helix. It's called the KWB distortion. Oh, okay. And it is a um, well. I'll read you the description from the website. So Ben Adrian, one of the designers of the helix, actually makes this pedal. Right. Um, you can buy them from him. I don't know what they cost. I was thinking about getting one for a while. Um, but back in the late '90s, Russell Hall of Pound, Wisconsin, now of United States Toil, introduced me to the Ross distortion pedal. Soon thereafter, I found out that the Ross Distortion, the DoD Overdrive 250, and the MXR Distortion Plus were all essentially the same circuit. They all had aspects about them which he enjoyed, but they also had aspects that he found displeasing. So he got into his, um, he, he got into his head that he wanted to make uh, his own version, right? So in 2007, he um, he worked with Scott Evans and uh, took three Distortion Plus pedals, um, and then he liked one of them more than the other two. Uh, they found that they found that the clipping dial was broken in the pedal that he preferred. So basically he took a pedal that was essentially broken uh, that he <laughs> liked. And then he made it as like a, like a, an effect you can buy. Um, and, and the cool thing about it is that it has, so it has different clipping options. It's got um, diodes, germanium dial, it's like silicon diode, di germanium dials and LEDs. And you can, and so you need two to make a, you know, to make a clipping circuit. So you can pick, you know, either you can pick the first one to be either of those three or the second one to be either of the, any of those three. And then you can actually adjust the asymmetrical nature of the clipping. So, um, and I, I don't, I'm thinking that's the pedal that where the asymmetrical thing is like a slider. You can actually go in between, um, between zero and a hundred percent. And, um, it's it's a really cool sounding pedal, and you know what I like about it? It's not a fuzz, but it can do fuzzy sounds. And what I really like about it is the fact that I can layer that with an overdrive pedal, like a like a tube screamer, and it gets nasty. Like it sounds it sounds really cool, and and you can use it in front of a like a mildly driven amp to get into fuzz territory. You could like the the um, air clapped and cream sounds kind of thing, like uh, um, sunshine of your love and all that kind of stuff. So it it's a cool pedal. I, I if I see if I come across one at some point, which I don't think he makes very many of them, I might I might have to I might have to snag one because I I'm a big fan of the Ross Distortion circuit, and um, that comes from which I'm in Black Death Doctors. It's a product project with a friend of mine, Anthony Grandetti, who's a uh, singer songwriter, and um, he uh, he's got a Ross amp, right? It's this little ten watt solid state piece of crap that he got from a he got from a pawn shop for like 10 bucks and um he it, it's got a it's got what they call the tube distortion circuit in it and i'm i'm fairly certain it's a dod 250 
but that thing sounds so damn good. Like, and then to find this thing, which is basically like based on that <laughs> with some modifications. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like DOD two fifties, like in and of themselves, but just to be able to like choose, you know, each of the dial positions and all that stuff to, to get some sounds out of it. And of course it can be kind of a substitute fuzz, um, which it makes it a pretty good Swiss army knife pedal. You should check it out. Let us know what you think of it. If you haven't used it and just, you know, play around with it. So. I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot in the, in the helix. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. That's that. Cause you're not going to come across with these in a while, but it's, a, but they have a model of it. And since Ben Adrian is one of the developers, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be pretty accurate. To the real deal so right now i've been messing with the uh, minotaur in uh, the hx Pax. obviously that's the clon um and uh the fuzz pie is my okay. favorite uh, fuzz pedal yeah that's the uh big muff right yeah but that's i mean you got to remember so i'm for fe- people um uh who are listening i use pri- primarily humbuckers and because i mostly use my prs's they're also dark so um, my choice of fuzz might be different from somebody. Oh, sure, sure. Using, um, you know, a higher tone or um, uh, a uh, single coil. Sure, sure. And actually, I think muffs are, um, for me, big muffs are like the universal fuzz. They sound good with everything um, at what their sound is. So right. they're not going to sound, you're not going to get them to sound like a fuzz face unless it's been modified or it has like some special circuit in it. You can get them to be pretty splatty. I mean, if you get a Russian big muff, which is like the um, the ones I like, so there's green Russian muffs and then there's black ones. I like the black ones. A lot of people don't like them, but I like them because they they sound like they're falling apart. And every one I've played, I've played a bunch of used ones over the years, and every one I played felt like the, the pedal was going to break while I was using it. Right. it. I mean, it honestly like is the shittiest box I've ever seen. Um, you know, I want one, but yeah, we, <laughs> it's not something that I'm going to spend a lot of money on because you don't know how reliable it's going to be. I mean, boss, everybody says, oh, their pedals are super reliable. I bought a metal zone just so I could have one, right? Like a couple, not even that long ago, probably two years ago. And um, <laughs> I bought one and I got it home and it stopped working like right after I got it home. I, I used one. So oh, I took it right oh. back to Guitar Center. I was like, it doesn't fucking work. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, that's that's interesting. Um, the the uh, we were talking about that earlier uh, this week about how like guitar players don't realize that it's actually a lo-fi sound we want. Yeah, no <laughs> speakers. Uh, we we were talking about speakers specifically. Yes, and you're absolutely right. Like if we wanted hi-fi speakers, we'd all be playing through studio monitors, right? Like if we wanted to be, you know, kind of that that like sort of snobbery. Yeah. Um, instead, what the sort of snobbery that we are is like, let's get the shittiest freaking speakers we can possibly imagine. And then, and, and, and horribly inefficient, et cetera. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, you just get by with hundred Watts with a guitar speaker and it's a hell of a lot louder than a PA speaker that's rated at, you know, 500 Watts. But, um, and I'm probably generalizing there, but, um, <laughs> it, it, our frequency curves, like it's just a giant mid hump. Right. Like it's it's all it is. It's a giant freaking mid hump. Um it's just so counterintuitive and we you know we get super snobby about our shitty sounding speakers. <laughs> it's just a, a humorous thing. It's not like obviously Jim and I love freaking guitar speakers, but you know, 
it's just kind of funny. So, yeah. So, um, what, what you're talking about there, uh, when, when, um, uh, we were talking about the differences in some of the cabinets and FRFR and all the other yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and the choices of speakers that you choose. All this stuff is very, very personal, but the speaker is one of the, one of probably, if not the biggest effect on your tone, when mm-hmm. it comes what's kind of come out of there. It's the most significant filter in the hierarchy of tone. Speakers are very high. I've yeah. got to get that shirt done. I've yeah. been working on that for months. The hierarchy of tone. The hierarchy it's of like tone. A food, it's got to be like a food pyramid. Yeah, it's going to be a food pyramid. It's exactly what it's going to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, those shirts, as God is my witness, will be available to purchase at GearFest. Not at GearFest, but you'll be able to get them when, right, right. when I go to GearFest. And hopefully we'll have them in time to, so that we can wear them one of those days. Yes, I'd like to have the hierarchy of tone T-shirt for Gearfest. You, you, me, and Dan, and uh, and um, yeah, everybody who's there. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, we'll get a, we'll get a couple of them. We'll get a few. So, um, yeah, that that's you know that goes to the point that you know unless you're playing now, you got to think about when the guitar was was electrified and used in um, music with in the, initially obviously the guitarist was that guy that sat over the side or the gal that sat on the side. Um, of of a small orchestra, yep. And you know, so you were playing clean, and you were playing jazz stuff, mostly chords, over on the side. It wasn't until somebody decided to really crank that thing and turn it into rock and roll. And in the fifties, you know, you, you don't appreciate that these guys that were that were doing this stuff in the fifties and sixties, they were breaking new ground in ways. Yeah. Because because people when they heard those sounds like of a of a, a cranked up Fender champ like just on the edge of destruction, right? Um, it, it was like everybody else was like, "That sounds horrible. What are you right. doing?" You know? Right, right. The the people of my age at that time were like, "Oh my god, this is horrendous." And yeah. yet they like they liked um uh, sax, um tenor saxophones and yeah and, yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, you know trumpets. So what do they know? I mean, I can't, I can't stand the sound of it. <laughs> I, mean, I have just, a trumpet under my desk here. Well, we'll we'll keep that to ourselves. Yeah, but, no, uh, it's actually a trumpet. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I didn't know you played trumpet. Uh, I did in high school. No, oh, middle school. Yeah, yeah, I tried to and, play uh, French horn. I was awful. I was good at trumpet. Yeah, I was terrible. I just didn't I, practice. Yeah, I was my good problem, at it. I didn't practice. <laughs> I made that thing sound like somebody was was blown into the rear end of a large package. You know, I got so screwed by my education system. When we got into high school, like I probably would have continued playing trumpet, except that it wasn't offered to me because they wanted me to take study skills. Yeah. Which by the way, I failed. Yeah. yeah. Not my proudest achievement, but I failed study skills. Thank you. Think um, about that for a moment. School system. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and I came from a very small town where public school system uh, was awful, um, especially if you were poor. But anyway, so, um, so there was that, that, um, uh, that thing that, you know, somebody like Scotty Moore, you think of Scotty Moore, who I obviously played for uh, Elvis Presley and, you know, a lot of the other stuff like that. And the people who were breaking ground back then um, were incredible. And the country players even were doing things that you'd have people that were quote unquote old country who thought the same way about them as you think about Luke Bryan. Cause they were yeah. like, oh, yeah, horrible. Listen to yeah. that. Listen yeah. to that guitar. And it was yeah. Jim Burton 
ripping it up on yeah. freaking telecasters, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's just a like that's a whole crazy thing is that every generation that comes around looks at the previous generation with yep. admiration, but does something different. The previous generation kind of scoffs at them. And it's that's not always true, but like I think I think today it's a little bit different. I think people people don't want to say that publicly when they dislike the current generation's music. Like they look for something positive to say, but at the same time, they're also kind of like sitting back there going, well, this is not really that great. You know, um, I don't know that maybe I'm, maybe I'm putting words in people's mouths. If, if you're interested, watch South Park, you're getting old where uh, Randy becomes Stevie Ray Vaughan. <sighs> so um, anyway, yeah, it's a good one. Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> Let's just say the fart jokes just keep coming. So um, the, uh, uh, Do you hear the sighing? Yes, <laughs> it's a great episode. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, so, oh, and they had Stevie Nicks too. So Stevie Ray Vaughan, oh. and Stevie Nicks, yeah. So Stevie Nicks was naturally. There. So the the um, but what I'm getting at is, <clears throat> you know, we 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 hear a lot of um. There's it's always been a rumor. I don't know if it's ever been actually um verified that. Um, to get a distorted sound, the first guy stuck a pencil through a speaker hole. Yeah, that's not really what happened. I mean, the overdrive came first where people were turning amps up, but then people were trying to do it at lower volumes and they were playing around like knifing speakers and everything else. It's Yeah. Actually, the first overdrive sounds are probably from freaking uh, jacking the board and running running too much gain into the board. Into the board. Remember those boards were two pre's. Yeah. Well, in those early days, like a lot of guys didn't record with an amp. Yeah. They were just running into the board. Running into the board. And then um, sometimes you would run the board out to an amp. Right. But a lot of times I was listening to a, an interview with Ray Parker Jr. and uh, with Tim Pierce. And he was talking about that where he ran directly to the board and a lot of the stuff he did. Back yeah. Then. Yeah. Um, no amps. So it was pretty interesting to, to hear some of the stuff that. Uh, uh, so. You know, it, it's things that I knew, um, but it was like another brick in the wall part too. That that was uh, Les Paul um, with P90s directing to the board. David David Gilmore said, mm, "Can we mix it with?" So it's actually the same guitar, um, and it's it's doubled. Only that what they did was they said, "Okay, we got the straight into the board one, and then we're going to parallel with that. We're going to put we're going to reamp it, put a little you know, a little smoothness on it, bring it back through." So. They did reamp that, um, but uh, anyway, those are some of the things that uh, that I I love to look at that stuff because I grew up in that time. You know, I grew up watching these people that that would. You would grew up before four cable, where people were running their reverbs into the distorted, you know, overdrive on their amp, and I grew up where where <laughs> you didn't have a master volume on amps. You didn't have. Um, there was yeah, no, um, ma- no masters like delay yeah. reverb out front if you had a delay or reverb if you had yeah if you had, had a distortion that. pedal i mean I, I i people in your generation like paul gilbert talk about when when they got their first distortion pedal it was like a big muff pie like that's not yeah. a distortion it's a fuzz like what the paul, hell <laughs> paul gilbert is younger than i am by the way and yeah so, yeah and so the, the um uh the look at if you if you go back um and you think about it it was about turning that amp up and getting it from the amp. So you'd get, and, and they didn't have these boutique 15 watt amps. It was, it was 50 watt, hundred watt, 
head. Some of them and maybe a thirty watt. Yeah, then it, you might find a thirty watt. I mean, the J, the JMPs were fifty watts. A lot of the Marshalls were fifty and a hundred uh, plexis and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, he's only like a year or two younger than you, Jim. Yeah, he's two years younger than I am. Yeah. But I, I'm just trying to put it into perspective. And in no, I know. When he talks about, he was in the guitar world. He moved to LA and he's talking about, oh, I got my first sports medal. I didn't live in that world. So I, it was me and an amp. You yeah. Know? And, and uh, you know, that, that kind of thing is people were, what I'm trying to get at is when you look back at that stuff, you, you, have to, you have to remember that it's all about perspective. We're in a, we're in a world right now where a, Six-year-old kid has more stuff than you know, guitar stuff than I could ever even imagined existed in 1978. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Like, not only not only did things not exist, but they also got better. Yeah, like some of the things that we all take for granted today didn't like a like a blues driver. Could you imagine if if like the blues driver existed back in like 1975, you know, like I, I can't, I, I can't even, I can't even um, fathom that. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah. I don't think that, you know, could you imagine if Jimi Hendrix had an HF, HX effects? Oh yeah. No. And, and you're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. That's where I'm going with this. So um, floor cable, uh, just to, just to touch on that before we close out the topic, um, floor cable, it has its advantages. It has its disadvantages. And, and I think we're, we're kind of getting to that. Like if you want to do all things authentically, you know, the guys that are going for the non-master volume heads and stuff, then you want to run out front. You really do. The front end. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what, there are merits to that. Um, Pete Thorne does, has a really good video. Um, you can seek it out where he's, he's nailing the Van Halen tones by putting a, um, it's an analog delay before the amp. And I, I'm like, I watch this and I'm like, I would never do that, you know? <laughs> and I watch him do it and I'm like, oh my God, that's magic. Like, I, I, I see what he's doing and I see why he's doing it and it sounds great. There was a time when a spring or a plate reverb were the only things you had because back then you had a physical spring. I mean, there are still amps yeah, 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 yeah. and a physical plate. And, and those were the two ways you got the reverb. And I, and, and I can remember um, if, the, if the spring reverb wasn't working on my amp, I'd kick it. Yeah, I just hit it on the side, kind of like a, t- a TV back in those days. It was, oh look, it's kind of going wonky. Oh, it's back. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just a it's just a thing. So anyway, what's our next uh, our next topic? All right. Well, so since we're talking about the HX effects, we can go ahead and segue over to um, talking about something that's very near and dear to my heart. Since I'm a full on Helix user, yep. and uh, we talked about this in the last episode, and I got a lot of got a lot of what the hell kind of messages um i i kind of switched away from using the helix and gone back to using my amp for, for the majority of stuff um the reason i'd shied away from it is because i'm in a condo and well frankly i can't turn it up um but i know that i'm going to need to get an attenuator and once i do that i think i'm going to be a lot happier than, than where i'm at right now i had an attenuator before it just wasn't super variable i had the um the dr z air brake um the light air brake and, it, and it's a good i mean it's a good little box and they're not expensive they're like 200 bucks or something um i'm gonna i am going to get the um uh rock crusher from rivera so um but 
attenuators aside, uh, the the initial notice I had was like it felt like something was wrong with the attack of my my sound when I was running straight in the helix. Now I've I now understand why, and um, it, it's not really a problem per se, and I'll and I'll get to that too. But it's just something I noticed. Uh, the helix is not ready to leave my possession. Still going to use it. It's still a great tool. I have um, a lot of things that I can do with it. Uh, even if I were to dump it, I probably would have to either go back to analog pedals to replace some of the functions in it, or I'd have to get an HX effects. Um, nevertheless, what I discovered after a late night of, uh, allergy fueled madness, um, I Googled and I found a article where actually it was a, it was a forum article. Um, and then I found other evidence to back this up, uh, discussing the latency that the helix actually has now the helix is a computer right i mean it's, they're all computers right, right and anybody who's worked with a daw knows that your enemy is latency because your computer takes time to process and it's a lot more time than it takes tubes to heat up do their thing and kick stuff out to a speaker right right so actually the speaker response might be the only thing in a in a conventional amp that actually has real latency because it's mechanical um so we so we put that in perspective um what we're talking about is uh, if you're if you're moving electricity through a circuit, basically you're talking about the speed of light uh, being your being your latency. Um, whereas if you're pushing electricity into a processor, the processor is doing something to it and kicking it out. We're talking about milliseconds. Right, and and, and I want to stress before you keep going, we're talking about when when uh, he's referring to the two. I mean, truly analog. In other words, guitar. Yeah into analog pedals not digital pedals yeah. analog nothing pedals digital. to the front nothing end digital. Of the, right front end of the amp which is in a tube amp not the digital amp um or at least a solid state amp that's not a digital amp to the to the speaker i just want to make sure i stress that so we don't have somebody go well it would be the same if you were using a you know a right no 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 and and i was going to get to that too it's like your regular pedals like your delay pedals like let's say a tc electronic flashback for example has latency all digital effects do unless you have an analog pass-through and if it's if the analog pass-through is functioning then your dry signal should be should not be latent right so um let's get back to what we're talking so we're talking about the helix specifically right so what i found out was the helix has four loops right and it has an input and output so to go from the input to the output takes two milliseconds even on a dry signal, right? So it takes two milliseconds to convert that signal to analog and then pump it out the other end. Right. The uh, the loops add 1.8 milliseconds each, so we'll call them two. So it would be, if you were just to put a patch cable between the loop uh, and, and use all four, you're going to add eight seconds, of, give or take, of latency, right? Or eight yep. milliseconds, rather. So right. All told, if you're using everything, you're going to hit nine milliseconds or 10 milliseconds, right? Um, and then for each additional effect block that you turn on in the helix, you're going to add 0.2, sec- 2.2 milliseconds, right. right? Which is not a whole lot, right? So let me put this in perspective. A millisecond, and it was pointed out to me, somebody in the group, but but I kind of already knew this, but but I'll, I'll give uh, Greg Dodd his, his just desserts here. A millisecond is a measurement of time, obviously. But you can use time to measure distance as well. And in this particular instance, um, a millisecond is roughly one foot 
from the speaker. Correct. So if you think about it in this in this perspective, 10 to 12 milliseconds, let's say, let's say that max helix latency that it can put out is 20 milliseconds, uh, is going to be the equivalent of being 20 feet away from your amp. Now, anybody who's used a wireless and walked around their house and gone upstairs or out in the backyard knows that once you get far enough away, you can hit a cord and it takes a, a like a like a very minute amount of time right. before it sounds through, through can, the amplifier. You can truly feel it. Yes, and um, that's why that's and when you get into those levels, you're talking about fifty milliseconds, thirty five to fifty milliseconds. Yep. Some people can notice it sooner than that, um, but I think you're going to notice like phasing before you notice before you get there. So between like ten and thirty five, you're going to see phasing start to happen. Uh, specifically right above 10, actually. Um, and beyond 35, you're going to get doubling, and then you're going to get slapped back when you get to like 50 to 75, and yep. then you get to 100, and now you're talking actual delay, right? Slap back delay, no less, but but more like an echo in the room um, with a real fast repeat time. So the reason why I bring this up is because we, I, I initially said, oh, well, it's latent. That's why I don't like it. And that's not really true because obviously I play with my amp and I don't necessarily stand right in front of it. My ear is not next to the damn speaker, right. <laughs> usually three to five feet away. And when I'm playing through the helix, I'm usually three or five feet away from my monitors. But here's the rub. A lot of the time when I play my helix, I'm playing through my DAW. I have logic open. I'm running the helix through it. Helix is being processed or doing the processing and then it's kicking it off via USB to the machine. The machine is doing some extra latency and then it's kicking it back to me. So I could be seeing 20 millisecond latency, right? The Helix through my computer. That's true. And even running it, it, right. Even running it into my amp, I can still feel it, but I, but the amp thing is more of an EQ impedance mismatch issue to my ear. It's like, I'm getting, my signal is way warmer than it should be is essentially what's going on. And I'm like, okay, I can live with this, but it takes out some dynamics. There's, it sounds a little bit more compressed. Yep. It's just, it's just something that, that happens, right? This is, yep. this is, this is little stuff, esoteric stuff of running gear. Um, you guys like Ful- Mike Fuller from full tone have written articles and, and talked about the fact that like pedal impedances play a huge part and whether a boss pedal will play nice with some other pedal from some other manufacturer. And those right. pedals expect to see a certain impedance and vice versa. Same thing with an effects loop. Yeah, they were Basically, talking about that specifically science. with germanium fuzzes on the on Pete Thorne's thing today. Yeah. And and he and I'm sure they will tell you it's not just germanium fuzzes, any vintage fuzz, because right. there's no buffering going on in those at all. Correct. That's exactly what he was referring to. Yeah. So um but, but be that as it may, I, I I don't think there's a detriment to having latency. I think latency today is a lot lower than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. When, you know, you could see a processor with, you know, 20 milliseconds latency. Um, you, right. And when you think about it, we talked about it, right? You, you opened up with one statement, that is that there's a computer in there. And yep. for, for those of you who, who are not... Um, so we're not uh, computer people. And for those who are, you know, I'm going to bore you for a split second here. There's a little, there's a little 
computer in there. It's running machine code. Yeah. All right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a uh, um, designer of these particular computers, but I've worked enough with microcomputers to know that in that machine code, you're going to have time that it takes to process. And if you think about your old computer in the 19, say, 1990s or even in the early 2000s, compared to now, you we're talking about, you know, two, year 2000. I just got today. I was like, wow, that was 19 years ago. Holy shit. Um, that that um, that's a that's a huge jump in computer processing power, not only in how fast it can do it, but how much it can do in that amount of time. Yep. And so. The, the way that digital to analog works and the way that analog back to digital works and so on and so forth, and all these things, they roll into each other. And that that all adds up. And so, you know, I'm going to let David take the floor again here, but I just want people to understand that, that when you're, you're looking at that, the amount of memory it has, the amount of cache it has, the amount of processing power it has, the Helix is an extremely powerful computer. Yes, it is. Um, capable of doing... Right. Damn near real time processing. Right. I mean, two millisecond two milliseconds to do what this thing does is pretty ridiculous. Um and I know in 10 years we'll be talking about tenths of a millisecond as as the latency. And at that point, it just becomes a non-issue because the human ear can't detect it. That's right. Um and 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 that's the other thing is I so we talk about distance from an amp, right? Like we don't really think about being farther away from an amp distracting us. There's a reason for that. Yamaha, and uh, there was another company too that was involved in some different studies, conducted some studies because they were interested in just how much latency they could get away with. Um, I don't think that was really the purpose of the study, but you, but you can you can imagine that's what's really going on yeah. behind the scenes. <laughs> the engineers are going, hey, if we could if we could make a you know if we could make a, an effects processor that does this in this amount of time, like it's going to be usable. Yeah. Um, they conducted some studies, and what they found was um, that uh, for most musicians, yes, we can detect a difference in a sound that is a few feet further away. However, we our brain naturally shifts our playing to match up to a certain point the distance. Right. And that's done automatically. We do not even think about it. It is not something we train. It's just it's just there. Yep. Um, now there is a threshold to this, and it's right around the threshold that we can hear it. So yep. basically, we detect it. We don't compensate anymore. It's very difficult to compensate. Correct. Um, because then you become consciously aware of it. Exactly. So I want to I want to tell a story about um, so when Randy Rhodes went on tour with Ozzy. Sharon Osbourne had this fantastic idea. And this does come to exactly what we're talking about. Sharon Osbourne had this fantastic idea. She wanted this stage show where they would have castles on the stage and like this, this crazy thing. And, and um, some of it, that came to fruition. Some of it did. Oh, it, it did. It quite did. Yeah. So Randy Rose says, where the fuck am I supposed to put my amp? Oh, that's going to go over here. And Randy Rose said, what and so that was I, i'm not saying that this is the first time that this ever happened but no it's but it's just a famous time yeah from what is that 1980 81 yeah, right, right there 70, 79 81 around that yeah, sometime, sometime in the late eight, late 70s early 80s i'm not a huge 
I'm not big enough Ozzy fan. I just I, I do remember listening to the albums. I'm just not good at putting that time frame together. But I do remember it was either was it Bark at the Moon or was it uh um I know it was Mr. Crowley was on the album. That's oh, that that's uh, Blizzard of Oz. Blizzard of Oz. Thank you. So when Blizzard of Oz, that was her whole thing. Sharon was like, oh, yeah, we, we got to do this. We got to. So they hid the, the amplifiers. And Rhodes went nuts because here's a guy who, and this is, this is where um, Dave and I talked about it. Dave and I talked about this earlier in the week um, as well. No, actually, it was not on about, Blizzard of Oz, but that's fine. <laughs> Which one was it on? I, uh, I think it was on the one after that. It was it, then. It was Bark at the Moon, right? No, Bark at the Moon was. Uh, was it Bark Jiggy at the Moon? Lee? Okay, Diary so of a Madman. Diary Mad. That's the one. I, I don't know why that name um, escaped me because you've got uh, all that good stuff on there. I love yeah. that album. Love that album. Oh, over the mountain. That's all I, I can, can say. I can, see, I can see the picture of him holding the cross and the. the what song were we talking about again? Uh, Mr. Crowley. Oh no, that's on that. No, that's on Blizzard Boss. It was on Blizzard Boss. Okay, yeah. I was right the first time. But anyway, so the um, uh, the point is, what was that? 79, 78? Uh, yeah. Let me let me look real quick just to get the right date. In nineteen eighty, came out in September of nineteen eighty. Eighty. Okay, I was right the first time. So anyway, um, so what David and I were talking about earlier this week is if you play faster and you play notes that are more condensed and, and pushed together. And I'm going to get to another stage show here in a second that, that brings that to light. You start to, you start to feel that sooner. That delay is going to affect you more because your expectation of your notes. Now, all of a sudden that delay is delay, which, which you don't even yeah. have your first signal yet. And your actual, your clean signal, your first signal. Well, it would have been, it would have been worse for Randy Rhodes because um, he he played classical guitar. I mean, that was his primary right. instrument. And, hey, and that's, he's less than a foot away. That's, that's as instantaneous as you get. It's in your it's in your yeah. hands. You unless he put it in his mouth, he yeah. went closer. Right. And so there's a here's a guy that came from like you said classical guitar. So now if you think about David Gilmore during the Wall when he was playing comfortably numb and he was twenty something feet above the audience or whatever. Yeah. Okay, at the top of the wall, he had to have a monitor there to to make sure because now he was delayed. When you think about the distance from from the the performers to the amps, then him to the performers, he was so far away. Now it's now it's hugely. Uh, so I've so always I wondered. That. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, but I've always wondered if the reason why David Gilmore relies <clears> on me so much is because it allows him to cover up some of that when they're doing the crazy stage show stuff. That is a possibility. Um, that that is a high possibility. I I can I can only tell you I saw Pink Floyd live three three times, um, four times, and uh, it, it was an incredible experience. And if you can if you can go, somebody asked me should I go see um, this week? They said should I go see the uh, Pink Floyd UK thing? I said oh yeah, because you're not going to get any closer to Pink Floyd than going. Yeah, to see. this is. Yeah. Especially if they've got the whole light show and everything, because it's uh-huh. really just the experience. It's it's so far out there. It's just it's just awesome. It's just like, should you go see Jimmy Buffett? Hell yeah! The experience to see the crowd, the people that you, you meet, it's worth it. Believe me, Jim. It's, Jim it's more about do you the see the look on my face right now? I know, but it's about the psychology. You can put earplugs in. Oh fuck that! I don't want to be anywhere near that fucking 
piece of human garbage. So anyway, um, uh, so uh, what I wanted to get at is, uh, so now, if you look at stages now, whether whether you're a whether if you would be a performer for someone like um, Gwen Stefani, or you were a performer for Shania Twain, or you were a performer for Garth Brooks, or whoever, they've got clean stages. You are nowhere yeah. near your stuff. You're, you're in a wireless in ears, which That's brings right. me to another part of this. That's exactly what I was wanting to get. So go ahead. I was going to get at the, so, the fact that you're in those wireless in ears. I'm going to point out something, and then I'm going to talk about a guest that we've had on the show before. So, um, of course, wireless systems have latency. And yes. that's a published spec for most of them. So you can go and find out like how much latency that they're going to add to your signal, especially yeah. the digital ones. The digital ones are notor- notorious for it. Um, oh, sure so, system, which is one of those standards. Yeah. I mean, well, they all do it. it it's a, you're broadcasting over radio wave, right? Um, now, hopefully it's the same amount, you know, like, so the same idea that your distance to the speaker, if you're using true radio waves should be the same, I, I would think, which should be the same. Um, speed from which a radio wave can travel between you and the, the receiver. Um, and of course, in a digital system, it's not just that wave, it's that and then the digital system decoding it and then pushing it on to the quarter inch jack into your device. So it would be, I'll be an amplifier model or whatever. Um, and so what I thought was interesting about this is like, they've gotten pretty good with those two. The boss unit is down to two milliseconds apparently, um, which... I'm kind of sold on it right now at this point. Um, but so the boss unit is down to two milliseconds. I think some of the line six ones are six. The new X. No, is it the Nux? Is that the, what's the, uh, what's the one you have? I have the X five, the X five, right? So there are, there are some pretty substantial endorsers of the X five, believe it or not. Um, I think they're, kind of toy-like but that's me they're they plastic are, and, and i use my um uh, those are for yeah, you have I a professional house, you use in a, yeah i right. have a sure system that i use that's the way i look at it like if i'm going to get the boss one i'm not taking that to a to a gig like i'll use it at the house just so i don't have to have a cable so i can right. go sit on the couch and play um but the main thing is like uh the 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 latency with the between these devices is, is very disparate so in your case you're talking about the x5 that's six milliseconds of latency, six milliseconds. So put that in perspective. Remember what we said, 10 milliseconds is barely noticeable, but between 10 and 12, 20 is where things start to get weird. And then between 20 and 30, you're going to hear a chorus. I mean, um, at low volumes, when you mix it with your guitar signal, you know, direct your ear. Um, so if you think about it, um, would you want to run an X5? Now here's where it gets. Here's where I, I I thought this was funny, and I had a good chuckle about this. Guess who one of X 5s endorsers are? Who's that? Your 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 buddy, the guy that makes the amp one, Thomas. Oh, Blue. really? Thomas Blue, Blue is an X five endorser. I didn't know that. Now here's where it gets strange because he because he says the amp one. The reason why he developed the amp one and it's not digital is because he believes the latency and processing takes away some of the magic of guitar playing. Yet he sticks an X five into it and adds six milliseconds of latency up front. When you think about what he's doing, and I was gonna, I was gonna add that to this. So I have a, I have a Sure um, system that I've been using for years. I love um, that is one of the higher end Sure systems. It's not one yeah. of the cheap um, that I use for stage. And uh, so it's got the battery pack. It's got the. It, it's a bit of a pain in the ass, but it's it's 
And if you think about it, you know, ACDC, Angus Young uses, uh, what is it? The, the old one that, uh, Oh no, he's not actually using it as wireless anymore. He's got a different one, but he uses their pre the preamp that the Solidals right. makes. Yep. Because he can't get that wireless anymore. <laughs> right. Well, it's not, not only that, but the, the band has been sold to the cell phone companies. Yep. And yeah, I was going to say, it's probably, I, I was about to say, it would probably, be illegal for him to use that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you think about, uh, the, um, the, the fact that Thomas Blug is on a stage, right? He's playing in Germany, he's playing wherever, he's playing mm-hmm. these places. He plays a lot of festivals. Let me tell you something. The six milliseconds that he's getting from that thing is oh, it's nothing. nothing. It's nothing. Nothing compared to everything else that's going on. It's basically making him six feet away from his amp. Right. Like, that's and, what I and, wanted to but, but I'm just pointing out, like, he's talking about latency and, like, oh, digital processing has latency. Well, you're right. <laughs> But but you, you so does your so does your wireless system so um and it's it's the same argument that we were trying to protect ourselves against from people in the group which is that well all digital pedals add latency no shit Sherlock how about that we should put him on the spot at the at uh, Gearfest if he's there and just say hey um, I'm just going to tease him about it I'm going to okay. tease him about it. I would, if he goes to dinner with us or something I want to tease him about it a little bit yeah and just be good. like hey look I I know I know you're right. Like, yeah. I know you're absolutely right, but you're using the X5 and that's like six milliseconds or in the latency, you know? <laughs> um, I don't, I, I, my thing with the, the X5 that, that kind of turns me off. So it's 150 bucks, right? Yeah. And I can get the boss wireless for 180. The, the X5 is 150 bucks. And the funny part about it is you get lower DB sensitivity than the boss unit. And it's six milliseconds rather than two. I wouldn't have got it if it wasn't one of those deals of the day and I got it for like $80. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm not, Jim, I'm not making fun of you. I'm oh, saying no, when no, it I came out, it. that was the only option if you wanted one for under 150 bucks. Yeah. Um, so that's, to I mean, be honest, I've been thinking about getting the line six one because they, you've got the cable. I'm talking about the high end, the G10, oh, oh the, the real expensive one. You know what? The cable modeling is bullshit. Don't worry about it. Um, the second thing is, it, you know, I like the line six product from, from them, but I've heard, there are people I know who feel like it is not well made, and they I I know that uh, they were big um, proponents of the uh, the Audio Technica systems, yep. that the the one that used to have the floor pedal, but now that now that that thing is no longer available, the Shure GLX is kind of the go to. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking at literally right now. Yeah, the GLX is probably what I would end up with if I was to get a pro system. But you know what? Frankly, I'm probably still going to use cables on stage. But I mean, the PSM, so I'm looking at probably putting two grand into my personal monitoring system because you've got to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and that's another thing. So you're talking about personal monitoring system. And if you go wireless monitoring, there's latency yeah, there too. Exactly. So and, and you're just not going to have wires on these big stages. Yeah, you can't. Right. So, I mean, J- Jim's absolutely right. Like, um, when, when, you know, he says that this is not that big an issue, but at the same time, like you start adding these latencies up. So like, let's, right. let's worst case scenario, right? We talk about the helix being right around 12 milliseconds or something. Yep. So worst case scenario, 12 milliseconds from the helix, then you've got your wireless system out front. So that's 14 milliseconds. And then you've got your wireless personal monitoring system, but wait, there's more. Yeah, if you're running into one of these fancy digital mixers, uh, they're going to have some latency there, and and that can vary, right? So you could easily get to like 25 milliseconds if you're not careful, and that's when things start to get wonky. Remember, 
Um, and, and then you have to think about the fact if you're not using in ears, right? Which we, which in our scenario we are, but if you're 20 feet from your amp and on top of that, you're running a modeler and on top of that, you know, you could easily get into that territory where it's going to be real freaking noticeable. Um, this is where, this is where I want to talk about something else. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. So when I grew up, it was you, a cable and an amp, right? Yep. Speed of light. Speed of light. Except for the it's distance tank. between you and the amp, but. Right, right. And it, and it was only as long as that freaking coiled up cord would let you go. Cause we all used coiled cords. Back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the thing. Nobody had a straight lead. That was for losers. So, um, who needs trouble? And I can't tell you how many times I almost pulled my amp across. Who, need, who needs trouble, Jim? Who needs trouble? Who needs that shit? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Everyone. Um, that's yeah, the best yeah. point. Um, anyway. So, um, the, uh, the thing that I was going to get to is, is this. If you grew up, we, we have now, that's why I was talking about the year 2000. We have now have children. My, my sons were born in 2000. They don't know anything else. So when they look at this stuff, the, the built-in latency is something there. That's already there for them. That's in their brain. Right. If we grew and, up with it. Right. It's, and I'm glad you brought that up in our discussion before we got to this episode because I was waiting for you to bring it up in this one. If you grew up in an environment where this was typical, yep. if you grew up always expecting 30 milliseconds between your guitar's pick hitting the strings and sound coming out of your speakers, this would be a non-issue for you. Correct. And that's what I'm trying to get. The funny it, thing is, I did same. grow up in that, that digital age. You did. But... Oh, but I never... Re- so... My first guitar and amp, I played through a keyboard amp, right? No effects, nothing like that. Uh, and then I got my first solid state combo. I played that for a year. And then I got a PV Rage and I played that for, you know, a year or half year. And they get a Vox Pathfinder. These are all solid state amps. Yeah. Because the digital amps that did exist back then were expensive. They, were, they weren't as expensive as your really nice tube amps, but they were pricey. I mean, they were 500 bucks. And so when I've got my first digital amp, it actually was a little bit of a trip when I got my first tube amp because I got that later. And then the tube amp always felt more like the solid state amps to me. Um, I would say the solid state amps actually felt more immediate. But the funny thing about all of this is that like I should be straddling the line between all the stuff because I, I've grown up on digital uh, even though, I mean, I started with solid state amps, but, but I basically grew up on digital. I had my, my main amp for like 10 years was a, was a, was a digital amp. Right. But if you think about this, um, who's the young guy, uh, in the group, the really young kid that, uh, are you talking about Spencer Hive? Yeah. Okay. You think about Spencer, he, he's now a teenager still. And so well, I think he's, I think he's like 18 or something. He's, well, that's what. I, yeah, he's, he's still, getting older, Jim. I know he's getting old. My son today, when he his grandmother, because his birthday was this week, um, <laughs> my mother called, wished him a happy birthday. He goes, yeah, I'm getting old. I'm 19. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, look at my face, priceless. Yeah, exactly, priceless. I I wanted to 
I wanted to say, oh, you. But anyway, so the the point that I'm trying to make here is that that um, with with someone like Spencer, um, someone like my son, that that uh, they were only getting their first amps a few years ago, and so digital. When when my dad gave me my first amp, it was that freaking piece of crap that was built into the the case of, <laughs> of the silver tone that I got. So, but that now, feels different than the digital amp, and it felt completely different. And now you've got kids that have got that. So for me, and, and I'm not, and some people are affected more by it. For me, I don't really notice that latency. I do notice it once it becomes um, something problematic, that, right? something feels like a ping pong but i don't play real fast so my expectation of the of the sound and the and the way that i play and everything else completely different thing um and we can talk about because i think that's the next thing you know really for discussion is not necessarily latency but the response of the amp to your playing as as you know you were talking about compression and uh so actually i think i have a i have a better better slant on this yeah, uh, comparing my Helix to to my Mark V. Um, so the Helix does a modeled sound of a speaker cabinet, right? And we've talked about you know why people are wanting FR FR because they're saying, well, I I just want a, a loud PA speaker because it already is doing my you know my cabinet and microphone choice. Basically, sounds like a CD, like like what you would get when you buy an album, listen to the record, which is fine. Look, that absolutely has a place, especially on silent stages. Um, but what I think is really, really funny is that just a being back and forth between a model and the real amp, the treble response is all freaking wrong because my amp right now puts out some really weird stuff above like 11K and I can hear it. It's, it sounds like razor blades, but it's done. It's It's so quiet in the mix. That like you don't notice it. What it does is it highlights certain mid frequencies and brings those up, and and yep. like it, it, they're harmonics. It details them to the ear. Right. So, um, in the Helix, I'd be cutting all those harmonics out because I'm like, I want a recorded tone. You know, like this is supposed to sound like what's on the record. And basically, most of your producers are rolling off everything above you know seven K. So, um, you know, somewhere between eight, somewhere between nine and five K, they're rolling off, right. and um, that's okay. Like. I, I, it's a totally different thing. It's not supposed to sound the same. No, nope. I get it. And I, I think that's part of like my immediate response to us. And then I think the gain structure, because I don't have a, a speaker being driven, you know, a speaker model being driven and all this, I think the gain structure is quite a bit different. But that's also has to do with the attack and that kind of thing. Yep. So, and I, it, you know, you get to, you get to a perfect, um, uh, perfect point and that is that uh you know it, it, it's very different um a very very different feel um different feel different technology right. I, we shouldn't expect them to be identical but they're right. both valid and and you know i can't take my mark five and do this trick here's one for you jim take uh take four of the big muffs put them in line and then put a couple of delays after it and then play like the music from blade runner because you basically turned your guitar into a square wave at that point. But this this goes back to um, a discussion that it's a broader discussion, um, and that is, let's say you're you're um, a sound engineer, right, or a, or a producer, or whatever your band. You go, am I going to use triggers and samples 
or am I going to use live drum? Like I don't I'm, think this is a cut and dry and, as triggers and samples, though. No, I, I know, but I'm just saying that you start to you start to look at um, in a in a broader sense that our expectation from our equipment, our gear, and our response, our sound, really comes to what are, what is the individual want, not you know you know what I mean. I thought yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah no you're articulating it's fine. Um, I, I have a, I have a philosophical thing before we move on to the next topic. And that is, so here's my philosophical, here's, here's David's moment. Right. (laughs) And that is we have at our disposal right now, technology that can make sounds that are freaking gorgeous and you don't even have to have the equipment. It doesn't cost much. It's, you know, compared to your real deal amps and stuff. And we have these abilities Yet what are we doing? We're emulating what has come before. Yeah. This is just ridiculous. If you think about this from that perspective, what we're doing with digital amps, instead of saying, oh, let's make some new amp sounds that no one's ever heard before. We're, we're saying, make hey, let's try to make you sound like Jimi Hendrix from back in 1968. Like, are you freaking serious? I've been, I've been racking my brain over this for almost a decade. We could literally make models that sound better than the real deal, but yep. because we're so worried about people not being able to accept that it's as good as the real deal, we don't. Right. Food That's for that. thought. Just think about it. <laughs> that goes to what I was saying. You know, if I've said a million times that your your tone is right for you, that it's right. Yeah. That's You're right. happy. Don't don't listen to us. Listen to yourself. And right. it, it, I, I am guilty of this. I will say this. I am guilty of being the guy that's over, like, looking on the gear page, trolling around, like, reading stuff, and, like, be like, ooh, I like what this guy's doing. Like, I want to do that. But then, like, doing it, and then be like, what the hell am I thinking? This is not me. Like, what am I doing here? And uh, it's very easy to fall into that trap as guitar players, is to yep. jump on the bandwagon and, like, oh, this is what all the cool kids are doing, so let's do it, too. Don't. <laughs> do that exactly no. do not find do what that. works for you you'll be happier on your pocketbook yeah and you'll be happier as a person um, you will be happier all the way around as an individual as everything the the fact of the matter is that we are we are um, as a as a group of people guilty of trying to say you know what if i don't like that it can't possibly be good there's never been any hobby that I've ever been involved in where there's not snobbery. Yeah. I, I've talked, you know, talking to other guitar players, they talk about cork sniffers and stuff. Like I have never been into a hobby, any hobby where there aren't cork sniffers. Right. Like go, go visit a PC gaming forum and look oh, at people talking about their graphics cards and their bills. Yep. Like yep. you'll see it all day long. Um, you can go into a car forum. Ford versus Chevy versus Dodge versus, you know, Toyota versus um, Nissan. Don't fall into that trap. Right. Don't. It just, and that's the problem. I think that's the biggest problem I see in um, the internet is, you know, someone new to the guitar or, you know, been there, you know, I want to get blah, blah sound. How do I do that? And it's like, I don't know how you do it. I don't really know how you perceive that sound. Right. I don't know what's missing from what you have. And, and the other side of it is that, you know, they, they just 
I want a I want a good uh, metal guitar. Yeah, or or I the one I like is like what distortion pedal is going to give me this sound? Yeah. Listen, you know what kills me is that people like they listen to these reviews and then they go out and buy it. They nope. don't go try it. No. They they order it on reverb or whatever, and then yep. they get it, and then they're like unhappy with it, and then it gets sold again. And and that's I guess is okay. It keeps the world going. And like I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people like to do the you know like I'm just going to keep flipping the pedal until I find the one I like, and that's yep. okay. Like I get it. Um, but I just think that I think that you could save yourself a lot of headache by just going to a really t- take the two hour drive to wherever your major city or three hour drive is. And go find a place that carries what you're looking at. And try and some it out. And try some different things. You know, it. it, it that's you know, it, it, it's like, oh, it's like Jim Buzz, right? And I, I, and I, yeah, and I finally got one that that you know, in all my searching, I've, I've given Jim <laughs> shit here. By the way, so, nobody's I, paying attention. Yeah, like, Jim, and I am so taking the shit and eating a pile of crows. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I feel like I'm in Game of Thrones. I've eaten so much crows. So the um, I don't know where I'm going with that. As long but, as I, as long as I'm as long as I'm opening your mind, Jim, I feel I feel good. So right. it's and, not and about tr- making you look bad, right? And, and the truth is that I'm finding more and more uh, uh, love for fuzz as I go along. So maybe we can maybe we can bring uh, Robert in with us when we meet him. So I, I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> we're going we're to drag him down in the pit of fuzz with us. So, um, uh, anyway, what I was trying to get at is this, that, that there is a, um, there is no, uh, pill, no guitar is right for everyone. And there is no pickup that's right for everyone. There's no pedal that's right for everyone. I was like, amp that's right for everyone. No set of cables that's right for everyone. Right. There is stuff that's, that's, um, how do I say this? That's going to be more, uh. It's going to be better on the stage on a nightly basis. Okay, there's stuff that breaks more easily. Sure, sure. Like that black uh, Russian muff I was talking about. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the knobs falling off while I'm demoing it, you know. <laughs> like falling into the pedal. I saw I saw a Pod XT Live. That's But that's the other thing. I saw a Pod XT Live um, uh, for sale at uh, Music Go Round. Sure, and sure. And I'm like, I'm like, that thing was built to last yeah you know, even though people bitched about the switches yep. oh they break they look cheap they built those for like ten thousand presses or something it was some insane number like that yeah it's an incredible incredible thing um and it, so what i'm what i'm trying to say is there's stuff that's built out there to last when you think about it the um when you put a little extra money into it, it's because but that doesn't mean you should put extra money into things right away day one no absolutely you know? not you're not gigging. Don't buy the gig stuff. Like, don't no. bother. Don't. They, I, that's what, one thing I remember. Um, I remember there's a guy years ago. He he was he'd been playing like two years. He was in a guitar. He was in a guitar show, Sam Ash, and he bought a half stack, hundred watt half stack. And I was like, Oh, do you play in a ba- do you play in a band? No, I just kind of like I kind of noodle around my house. And then he played through the amp before he bought it, and I was like why are you buying a hundred Y half stack? Like (laughs) no, but, but if he's got the money, go right ahead, but you don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Mom's going to hate you when you get home. Oh, he's an old guy. He was like, he was like in his forties. Oh, well see somebody like me, I could put a 50 watt. uh, I've thought about it. I have thought about dumping some money and getting a Jim does not like his hearing. 
So and he's this- decided to just huck it out the window. Boom! <laughs> In my whole neighborhood up. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that guy really sucks. Dude, there, was was <laughs> there was a that 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 guy that I um that I went and um auditioned with years ago. Like he had a, a little house and he had two hundred watt BBJSXs. Or that no, I, they were JSXs or triple Xs. I can't remember. It's just the same amp, right? Right, right, right. And yeah. uh, he had them in his living room with the windows open, and he was running them at like half volume. Wow. And I'm just sitting there going. Dude, your neighbors must absolutely love you. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, in a neighborhood like mine, I'm sure that I'd get lots of love. Um, well, but- he, told, he told me when I played with a drummer, I'm going to need a 212. I just laughed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, probably. You got 200 Y heads and you're running them at five. Jeez. I'm going to need, I'm going to need new earplugs is what I'm going to need. Who's he playing with? Animal? Dave Grohl? <laughs> I mean, holy shit. I'm surprised you'd be able to hear the drummer. Yeah, that would, that would be my thing. Oh, well, you don't need to hear the drummer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, we talk about stuff like that. We talk about volume. We talk about stuff, the, the things we do. But the, the fact is, you know, it, and that's the other thing you hear. You see so much on these. Well, I, I want a really great amp that can do this at bedroom volumes. I, I'm sorry there are certain things you can't do at bedroom volume. It's just not going to happen. And it's okay. You should be okay with that. You should be able to, you, you want to do your playing better, not your, not your, you know, I, I, so this week at, at rehearsal of the variety band, um, the drummer said to me, he goes, um, Jim, how come you don't have, we were doing the, the bitches back by um, Elton John. Right. How come you don't have that really high end jangly sound the guy is doing? I just looked at him with this look like, seriously? And, and he goes, he goes, no, really? How come, how come your guitar doesn't sound high and, and jangly like that? I said, well, um, first of all, he's playing a Stratocaster through a really loud yet very clean Fender amp. Yeah. And he's also tuned to open G and playing the G chord on the 12th fret, tuned down a half step. I am playing in standard tuning on a Paul Reed Smith through a 12 inch <laughs> cabinet. I had a, a very bass. different rig. <laughs> How do you expect me to do that? And he, and he could not fathom that I could not get that jangly sound. And I wanted to, I, I said to him, I said, well, if you guys need a guy that's got a, you know, a Fender tweed and uh, a Stratocaster, and um, is I going to play with no pedals? Well, I'm not your guy, so I'll just I'll just walk away. It, that it it got pretty heated. I was pretty pissed because I I thought at first he was just going to pull my chain, but then he started you know oh well we really got to. I was like yeah fuck you when you start playing guitar get your ass over here and start doing it otherwise shut the fuck up and sit behind those drums and bang around like you've been doing all night long. I, I was I, I was I've never <laughs> had. I've never had that kind of a conversation with another musician. Oh yeah. And and like I would pro I would be the guy that's just like, you know what? I I would I would have put I would take the guitar off, put it on the stand and said, You come do it. Yep. Show me how to do it. Right. Because you clearly know more than I do. You show me how to do it. And I, and it's funny. And if he I, does, I'd learn something. I took the guitar, I took the treble on my amp and I turned it all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's that jangly sound. Like, oh god, it's that underpowered, un- underwhelmed. Yeah. You know, pick up if you think about the, the the intro of this, and that's the other thing that these people don't think about when they don't play. It's like, look, that is doubled sometimes. Yeah, triple track. Yeah, you know, it, it, they're not. Oh, I they're, love it when somebody like because I have had those discussions where they're like, your distortion sound is not matching the record. It's like. You do realize it's quad tracked, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I do not match the record. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not I four of me. <laughs> I said that straight up. I said you're right, and I won't, and I can't. I'm also not six foot two and twenty three years old. Th- those are two things I can't. <laughs> yeah. You those, can't change that. <laughs> those are things that are not going to happen. And uh, if you wanted that guy, you should have called somebody else. Well, the <laughs> funny, the funny part about it is, Jim, is that like. If you had a very axe. <laughs> yeah, if I had a very axe. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, LT or. Uh, I wonder the, how much latency is in a very axe. <laughs> it still has crossed my mind. The only, only problem is, you know, like you've said, and and, and this is where um, I've never played a helix or I mean a, a very axe. So my problem has go. always been in like you said they're not great guitars they just don't have the feel it's not no it's not even that like uh, they're ugly number one yeah number two is they uh, i'm also short and fat so i'm not i'm not yeah i mean you're not winning any awards here and neither am i uh they're ugly guitars they don't i mean it's like they play okay that the electronics in them apparently is problematic because i know that I know some people who've said that they're pretty unreliable. So I'm waiting until the new, the new Variax comes. If they decide, if they make a decision to go beyond the shuriken, because that shuriken, I will not play. I would not put that around my neck. Well, it's the same electronics as all the other ones, but it's not ugly. Yeah. Just a fugly guitar. Yeah. Those things. If I wanted a can opener, I'd go to the the, uh, Walmart and get myself a can opener. Yeah. I, I'm hoping that they take the Pacifica, like you said, and turn the. Um, you mean the uh, Rev Star? Or Rev Star, yeah. They already have the Pacifica. That's the standard. Yeah. That's what I mean, the Rev Star. But um, anyway, yeah, I just. I couldn't believe I was having that conversation with a man that's over 50 years old <laughs> and having to explain that. He was just you know, probably having a bad day. But he's the same guy that earlier in the week I said, hey, you know. Um, and, and all I said was, hey, there's somebody that's got a set of, because he doesn't have, he's got one set of drums and it's in the rehearsal space. So when we got a, two, when we got a gig, he's got to take him out of the rehearsal space. He's got to bring him back in the rehearsal space. He's got to set him back up. That's and why he's pissed because you made a and, gear suggestion to him, Jim. And he so now he's going to look for any opportunity he can to fuck with you. He doesn't come in and set it up like before we get there. He comes in at the same time we get there. I'm like, I'm not sure why we're even here tonight because we're going to spend all night watching this guy set up his drums. Cause he's, he's one of those guys. He's like, tweet, 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 tweet. I was like, oh. it, I have never seen a drummer sit, take so fucking long. So, and yeah. so when I, when I got, um, uh, I said, Hey, there's a, there's a kit, there's an electronic kit that'll knock the noise down indoors. And It'll, it'll, um, you know, oh, well, I can only play on my kit. That's the only thing I can play on. Blah, blah, blah. No so shit. No so shit. That's why it takes you 50 minutes to set up. So then don't tell me. It took him. We, we were doing uh, um, our first gig together. I knew I was like, oh, God, I hope we find another drummer. 
we we um were setting up it took him so long we didn't get a sound check and we were the only fucking band you know what that kind of shit's inexcusable because especially for drummers like every drummer i know plays on other kids they go to a open mic they sit down they play the kit that's there yep what the hell nobody they have a cocktail kit your kids don't feel that different I, I'm not a drummer. Whatever. Whatever. But I don't, t- and that's what I said to him. I said, I'm not a drummer. I don't tell you how to drum. No, um, you tell him how to set up. <laughs> Fast time. I, I wanted to because he dropped his key so many times. Luckily, my kid was there to pick it up for him every time he dropped it. Yeah. He kept dropping his drum key. It's like, how, how do I fucking keep dropping drum? I have never seen anybody take so long to put, it's a, it's a box. It's a, it's a round wood yeah. box. You're putting on a metal stand. How fucking hard is that? All right. Well, so let's get to the let's get to the last topic. Since we're talking about drums, yeah. this is probably the perfect time for you, Jim, because you might actually be able to find something to replace this guy with. Um, yes. So, <laughs> Dan Kish, listener of the show, asked me a couple of weeks ago. We we said we'd bring it up on the show, and I, I haven't gotten to it. We've had a lot of other topics that we wanted to discuss, and we've kind of touched on this before. Um, He's talking about, uh, well, everybody, if you haven't done this, you, you should know about it. Uh, you can go to YouTube and you can search for backing tracks, right? Or you yeah. can go to, um, I, I think even uh, uh, Spotify has backing tracks, right? Yep. So you can call the backing track and you can jam along. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and they're awesome. They're, they're great for developing your ear. They're great for developing your ability to kind of make your own melody against chords. Uh, if you're trying to play through chords, that's a great way to do it. Um, everything. What Dan was asking, so there's there's products now aimed at guitar players that kind of do the same things as backing tracks. So like there's the Digitech Trio, yep, where you play some chords, it develops a backing track that goes along with you using basically expanding the box, right? Right, right. Uh, it's it is literally the same as the band in the box software. They own band in the box, and so band in the box is actually there's a there's a little sticker on it. This is band in the box, powered by band in the box, right? So similar idea. And um, when this pedal came out, they sold a lot of them. People were really excited about this thing, and so they made they've actually made a couple of a uh, couple of iterations of this pedal. Uh, oh, I there's the Trio Plus. I just thought about that. Digitech's going to go out of business. That's gonna be i think band in the box will get sold off yeah because i think that's a very popular software or somebody else will be doing a similar thing um because i want band in the box i i big fan of that software that's Uh, one pedal i've kind of thought about grabbing was the the trio yeah i have one um so like it we're getting there um (laughs) so there's a couple others there's the i think there's like a d drum pedal um, which is like a trigger that you can use to have drums going along with what you're doing. And then there's the beat buddy, which yeah. is just drums, no, no bass. That's the cool thing about the trio is it'll generate a bass pattern. Right. And then some of them have a looper built in. So you can actually loop your guitar part. Yeah. Um, and I've always like, even going back to when I was much younger and products like this didn't exist. I just used a, I used a, uh, and a zoom drum machine. They had a had yeah. a through, had a through on it, and I could run that into my amplifier for just jamming along, and I could program bass patterns, and I could use the inbuilt patterns and stuff to jam along. Um, I think the appeal of the trio is you don't have to think about it. 
right? You turn it on, you play your riff, and then you hit it again, and then all of a sudden you got backing, you know? Yep. Um, the thing I don't like, so people are asking, like, Kishers want to know whether the, the trio was worth buying. I think if you get a good price on it, yes. Um, it's it's comical sometimes when it mishears what you're doing. Um, if your guitar yeah. is set up, if your guitar is set up properly and you're playing chords that are clear and consistent for it to hear and your rhythm is good enough, I think it's less comical. But every once in a while, it'll just do something stupid. Like, and and it, it, you can laugh at it, but this is not, I, you can't use a trio live, right? Right, right. That's not what it's for. If you could save a song in a trio, like let's say you could have like a bank of 10 songs or 20 songs, and then you could you could play the chords and then yeah, you could you could construct a set that way. But the problem with the trio is it has no bank of anything like that. It doesn't save the progression, it doesn't save the backing track it makes for you. It just does it once and then you move on. Yep. Um and so they've come up with some other other iterations. This is why I have problems with the trio. So none of my songs are just same chorus over and over and over, like like a 12-bar blues, right? This pedal is great for that, by the way, because it could do 12-bar blues all day long. Um, and so you can't set up like verses. You can't set up a bridge. Uh, I know some of the later iterations have some of that functionality in them, but I think it's fairly limited. Um, you, you, even if you're going to put in a chord progression, it's limited to the amount of time that you, the progression can last, or the riff can last. Yeah. Uh, so these are the these are the limitations you got to be aware of before you buy one. I I recommend it actually. I think it's a cool pedal. I think you can get them you can get them cheap. I got mine for like fifty bucks. Uh, Sweetwater was blowing them out. Um, but I don't have the I don't have the Trio Plus or anything like that. I just have the oh. old like original Trio that I don't think they make it. Um. But it's not a gigging tool. So I think for a lot of people, the price of entry is like a little too much money because it's, you know, if it's aimed at like beginners and, and younger players who like want to be able to jam with people that don't, you know, don't yeah, know the what one, that feels like and those kind of things. Right. The one with the looper in it is $300. Yes. Yes. That's the really expensive one. And that's gear. They want that one to be for like the professional musician type, right. but that is not something I would be using in a, in a gig situation. I would much rather come in with actual tracks yep. on an iPod or something yep. or, and, or um, even just MIDI being played back through a keyboard, like a keyboard sequencer, because right. it's consistent. I don't have to worry about whether it's going to screw up and give me some stupid lame pattern. And because yep. um, if it mishears you, you're screwed. Or There's if you, have a, you can do about it. Yeah. You blow a chord. Yeah. Well, you're not gonna blow a chord, but if it mishears you, and that's the thing, it does mishear you. So if yeah. it hears the pick noise louder than it hears the harmonics of the string, yep. like you could get some weird stuff, and uh, and or like it, it'll it'll screw up the rhythm real bad. That's the, that's the my favorite one is like it'll screw up the rhythm. Um, but overall, I think it's a cool tool. If you can get one for an inexpensive price, like it's totally worth it. Uh, I yep. think the beat buddy is probably a little bit more consistent if you're actually going to use something on stage um, because the beat buddy has, you can actually import MIDI to it. And so you can put your drum sounds like not your drum sounds, but your, um, your rhythms and just like 
flash them to the device. And then I think it's on SD card even. So you just put an SD card in there and then away you go. Um, I have the Digitech, the uh, the Harmony, or no, this is not the Harmony. Uh, it's the uh, Band Band or whatever. And it's got an SD card slot and I can put songs on there and the loop time is outrageous. And I could literally, I could literally load up songs and just hit play once and trigger yeah, the songs right from the loop pedal. Yep. The Jam Man. Yep. is one that does that. Is that the one you're talking about? Yep, that's yeah. what I got. Yeah, and that that's a fantastic pedal. If you're going to use loops, either that or the RC3, which also has it has a three hour memory in it. I mean, you don't have you've got to yeah, but it's all board, and so you can't load up. You can't like preload your songs on there. Well, you, you can't. Play you got. No, I'm talking it. about. I can literally take tracks. I right, can, you can like an that. iPod. Right, you could do that with the um with the RC3. You get you hook it up with the USB. Oh. You can throw up to three three hours music on it. Okay, so at, and they can be individual loops and everything else. So uh, uh, of the two, I would go with the with the Jam Man, the Blue Jam Man, um, just because its its interface is a little easier for you, uh, especially if you get the four four button. Yeah, jam. I mean, I don't I don't have any love for either one. I think I think if it, they both do the same thing, like they're both cool tools. Pick one, uh, pick the one you like the best. Yeah, the bosses. Um, I think the Jam Man is only 16 bit, 20, uh, 16 bit, uh, 44.1, which is CD yeah. quality audio. Yeah. I think the boss one might actually be 24 bit. So which, uh, it, it depends. I mean, if you're doing a solo gig at a coffee house, who cares? Nobody's going to be able to hear it through the PA anyway. Yeah. So it um, doesn't make it. But the, um, you know, the, the cheapest I'm finding a, uh, trio plus, uh, uh, band creator on, uh, reverb is just under two hundred dollars with shipping. Yeah, and we were talking about one hundred eighty nine ninety nine. So you're talking yep. about oh, ten dollars and one cent cheaper. Yeah, yeah. So and that's uh, a used one in Brooklyn, New York. If you want to run and grab it to Brooklyn, New York. But I'll tell you right now, you'll see them on Craig's. You'll see them on Craigslist from time to time. Way cheaper than that. Yeah, As people buy them when they first start playing guitar and they use them for a while, and then they just and then they get rid of them. Um, yeah, the problem they, is because they're getting rid of their instrument too. I honestly can't believe they hold that much value for the given the um, uh, the number of them that are online available. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like you can go get a really nice drum machine from Boss Roland or from uh, from Zoom. Or... Does Zoom still make that because that was an awesome. I had one of those when I was playing bass. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think Zoom it. still makes a couple of different drum machines. Yeah, and then um, you can get you can again we get the Elisis the uh sr202 or whatever yep. it was the one that's really popular that people have been using since the 80s like def leppard used that one or something for for doing drum sounds on something yeah um, uh, it's it's called the zoom uh the one i had was the uh rt series yeah i had and that I, I, and that's about a hundred dollars yeah awesome awesome and, and you can get them used on reverb for 50 bucks and i know people love um, them yeah they are great. They're just really great. And link me that because I uh, I might have to go look and see what they're doing with them now. Yeah, I would mind having another one. You know, my mine with uh, the uh, volume knob. I I turned it one time and it went past the point where it was supposed to stop. <laughs> and you know, the funny part is it still works. Yeah, it didn't break the volume pot. Isn't that crazy? They've got Zoom's got one now. It looks like um, Simon. It's got the. The things on the outside that glow and you can <laughs> that's pretty cool looking 
but I used a I used an old RT series. Um, yeah, they're they're cool. Um, I would highly recommend if you're looking to do it on the cheap, don't bother with the, the just get it get a Zoom unit and and take the time to program in your your tracks. I know people are like, Kish should mention like I want to be able to do it on the fly because I lose inspiration. Well, the the nice thing about the Zoom is you can play the pads like you're playing drums, you know, and you can put your stuff in really, really quickly. Um, I think that the allure of the the trio is that like, it's like having musicians who are actually playing the music with you. And it's, it's really not, if it, if it were like, I would be all over it and using mine all the time, but I, I don't use it very much. No, I, so we both have a, um, a really good looper built into the, uh, the, uh, Helix system. Um, it's all right. I mean, I use the looper, but like, Again, I'm still struggling with the same problem, which is that I don't have enough time to do like a full song and it doesn't save loops. No. And it, well, absolutely, absolutely correct. If I'm going to build a loop, I'm going to record it. Like the one that I did for uh, um, the pedal or the uh, the pickup demo thing I did. Yeah. I just, I just threw it into Ableton. I created it and I looped it in Ableton. I can just copy and paste that thing. I can tell Ableton loop it forever. And then I can play over it. And if, again, some of the best loops um, around is you can just YouTube a loop and, and find them. You can, either you want D minor, F sharp, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Whatever you want to play a Dorian, Eolian. Aeolian. And if you don't know what that is, just listen. That's a good way to do it. See if it's, yeah, you'll find out. As you play along and you go, oh, that's a crappy note in that <laughs> progression. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that one that I sent you, I think that's the one I had. That's an older model. Yeah, uh, I had an RT. I had the the C. I think I had. Yeah, they, the, they made they. I think that was like the one two three or something. Yeah, the there was the one two three, the two two four, the. Yeah, I don't know. So many there's the RT three. Well, the the RT two two three is discontinued. Yep. So, um. But there's, you know, there's tons of them out there. Get a used one. They're cheap. They're like 50 bucks. Exactly. So if you, if you can, if you can play the pads and, and play and then use the quantize function in the unit. That's right. It's going to be a lot better than trying to do it with a DAW to get inspiration. You can YouTube yourself a um, a how to on quantizing your pads. And and then all you have to know is you're, as long as you're close yeah, I don't even know if you. I don't even know if you have to like YouTube to find out how to quantize. I mean, it's they're, they're pretty intuitive. Yep. Um, so yep. I really like that's what them. I found. I, I kind of miss my. Well, I still have mine actually. I have I'm one, it but it's it's an Elisus. I have an old Elisus. I'm thinking I might buy one of them. I have one. I just it's it's in the. I need to dig it out. I have it's in storage. Yeah. And so, yeah, so yeah, for loopers, I mean. And that's the thing. What are you trying to do with a loop? Are you trying to make it, Are you trying to write the song in the moment? If you're trying to write the song in the moment, just buy a cheap loop pedal. Look and yourself a cheap loop pedal. If you're trying to create music that you're going to, um, you know, you're going to jam to like these drum machines are great because you can run them again. You can run them in your DAW and you can, you are the drummer now. I used to like, um, so I had one of the old Yamaha portable arranger keyboards. Um, and they weren't, they weren't horribly expensive when they were new. Like I, in my household, my mom was like, she was a keyboard player and she would play organ and stuff on, on 
inexpensive like Casio keyboards and stuff. And uh, to her, they were like, you know, these were professional machines. But for me, like they were like knowing what a synth really is, like I'm kind of like, yeah, they're nice, but they're not really they're not something you would track with. But right. the cool thing is they all had a sequencer. And so when I was first starting to learn to play guitar, like the first thing I did was I figured out how to use a sequencer on those guys. Yep. And that was my first forays into like understanding music theory and understanding rhythms and all that. And actually the one that she still had, I believe she still has it. It has a, a floppy drive on it. So I would put out, out two and a half inch or like the smaller floppy disk, you know, I put it in there and uh, I would save my MIDI files. I'd actually go and make them on a computer and then go and import them over there or play them back over there. And I could use all the portable arrangement features that were on the unit. All sorts of fun stuff. Or I would track over there and then I would go take it and put it in my DAW, yep. which, was, which was really cool. Like I made a lot of music doing that. Um, you got to give kind of a pain uh, in the ass, but yeah, you got to give credit to whoever created MIDI because that's been around a long time. Yeah, dude. Uh, since like 84, I think is when it was ratified. Yeah. Somewhere in the eighties, somewhere in the early eighties. Might have been earlier than that. It might have been 83. It might have been 84. I want to say it might have been 83, but I know I remember hearing about MIDI in 83. They were, uh, yeah, I think there was a draft MIDI standard before there was actually a. Because I remember seeing high school, school. So they were like, yeah, we're going to be MIDI compatible or we're MIDI. I'm going back to my college days and trying to from, remember. From Yamaha or um, I want to say it was Yamaha and Cassie. So in the early 1980s, there was, there was a movement to do this because. Um, if you guys are, are guitar players, you might not necessarily know this, but the whole thing was like, if you had a Moog, it couldn't communicate with a Roland. It couldn't communicate with, um, you know, any of the other companies in Oberheim or, or Yamaha or Korg or, or Sinclair or uh, Kauai. Um, yep. So they needed a language to talk. And, and, and like a lot of people said it would never happen because they all wanted to keep everything proprietary. But um, they started development of MIDI in 1982. It was being demonstrated in 83. I think it was ratified in, I think it was ratified. No, it actually was ratified and released in 1983. Yep. But the first synthesizers to uh, to feature it were like the Roland Jupiter 6. Yep. And the Roland TR-909, TO-909, any uh, CPC-88s were computers that supported it. Uh, I know that, the, I think the Roland JP-6 was the original. But they but they demonstrated it. And that was the cool thing. Everybody like lost their freaking mind yeah. uh, because Robert Moog was big behind it. He was the guy because he's all modular. You know, he wanted to do everything yeah. modular. So he's like, yeah, we need this because we need to be able to have these things talk. Um, he announced it in in uh, Keyboard Magazine in 1982, yep. and it looks like um, so 1983 they they demonstrated it between, at, at Winter Nam with a Prophet 600 and a Roland JP6. So they, they sounds like when he announced it, they were like already deep, deep working on it because even though MIDI is not that complicated a thing back then when they did it, it yeah. was like, Oh my God, what are they doing? Uh, so I, rem I remember reading an interview with Greg Hawks from uh, the cars and uh, his keyboard player. Um, and he was talking about the you know, importance of it what it was going to do for them. And, well, the uh, I did do uh, it was Greg Hawks. It was uh, Downs. It was a Downs from uh, Asia. Yeah. Who was also in Radio Kills, Radio Star. That yeah, like so many other people were involved yeah. in it too. Like Rick, Rick Wakeman wanted it. Yep. But the funny thing was like all these guys that were like, yeah, we need money, we need money, MIDI so we can have 
we could have one keyboard. Because they were tired of, these guys were bringing Yeah, they had these giant racks, right? (laughs) Yeah, with like three keyboards or five keyboards or 10 keyboards in some cases. Yeah. Rick Wakeman, go look at Rick Wakeman. I mean, uh, but, but the funny part is that even though MIDI came about and they only really needed one controller to drive all this stuff by the late 80s, Yep. They were still doing it. They were yeah, still bringing these giant ass rigs with like 25 keyboards. And yep. It's just hilarious. And now you see people doing it on two, um, what they were doing on six or eight you know, keyboards. But it looked really impressive. When you'd see uh, gowns, you know. Um, That's why they were doing it. It was a stage set thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and those he guys used to go out with it with the, the Moog, the original Moog yeah. modular synth that was the size of a fucking house. Yeah. <laughs> it was and, like, uh, seriously, it was like seven feet tall or eight feet tall. And yeah. you had wires everywhere because it was all modular. You always you patched everything in. And I was just like, dude, how do you even know when you set this thing up? Like, how do you remember? You were, you were like, a, he, he'd be changing patches in the middle you, of it. It was like Lily Tomlin in, in uh, you know, where she was like, oh, yeah, you want to call this city, you know? And she, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it was just so crazy. Remember her from the electric company? Yeah. Anybody yeah. bold enough? And, uh, you know, so, yeah, these guys were like, oh, come on. We want to be able to bring it down and we're going to at least bring. But you got to remember, even though MIDI came out, I don't know if you guys are, have ever been involved in some of these languages. I used to be involved in NEMA, which is a, um, which is a, he's, language that maritime um, equipment that's what the m and nema stands for um uh uses to communicate they still leave room for the companies to go you know what we're gonna have some stuff to be maintained priority or uh proprietary and you're not gonna know this language we can learn yours but you're not gonna know ours well here's the insane part right so it was standardized in 1983 we're still using midi 1.0 yeah, they've never gotten back that? together and said we need to adjust something or nope. They, that's what I said. Whoever wrote that language initially, th- that guy was a that, that was a genius. Whoever oh, that there, was. no, there's a lot of deficiencies in MIDI, but the thing is to get all these players to come back to the table to ratify a new standard would just be impossible. But I'm just saying that, that think about it. We're still using it 30 something years later. Yeah, it's just I, it, it, if if. The is this serial? We could do is a whole- MIDI, no, MIDI's got to be parallel. Is it? Is that 8-bit with a um, with parity? Is that what the nine pins are? I can't even remember, man. Like, I used to know all that. I'm just uh, curious. I'm looking to see. I think it's I think it's serial. I would think that those are serial connections, or I mean, um, uh, parallel connections, but the fact that the, like, the, um, the only reason I ask is, like, the amp one, right? You take a, you take that nine pin MIDI connection, and you turn it into, or is it eight pin? I don't know. And then you turn it into a single pin on the amp one. It must have some type of serialization. To it. Yeah, I think it is. So it would make sense. Serial, serial parallel. So it, it depends. It's typically used an eight pin uh, mini DIN connector. Yep. Um, okay, it is eight pin. And that was serial, of course. Yep. Um, but the MIDI timepiece, master. Um, so I, I guess. <sighs> I don't know what the standard actually is. Yeah. I thought it used each pin individually, so that would make a parallel. Right. Um, that's right. But it also, I think it also has, like, it has a ground in there, too, of course. But you can go, you can make, um, 
you can have eight pins and have uh, still have serial communication over. It might be that the MIDI standard doesn't use all the pins. I don't know. I don't oh know. Enough about oh my God. Like where have I been? So at the bottom of the Wikipedia article for MIDI, it says MIDI 2.0, the initiative announced January, 2019. So they <laughs> are actually doing it. Finally. How about that? <laughs> it took like 30 something years. Um, and it's you know going to have gonna... auto configuration, new DAW web integrations, extended resolution, increased expressiveness, tighter timing, which is the one thing I've always bitched about. Um, all while maintaining a higher priority on backward compatibility. So two uh, of those things, exactly what I was going to ask. What is the clock speed? And DAWs must need something more for, for MIDI. Well, it's not so much the clock speed is that like the, the way it segments things, it, it, we could go much higher resolution now uh, with, with modern technology. And then the other thing is like the fact that you still have to have like a, if you're going to plug MIDI into your DAW, you still have to have like a, a template file to know how to communicate with the yep. device. You should be able to feed that directly from the device into the system. And it's got to be that automated. Uh, the, that's uh, exactly what that is. We're going to talk about auto configuration. That is massive. Like yep. that is going to change music. Massive. Yeah. Because imagine your Helix, right? You want to control your amp one. They talk to each other. It just automatically knows what the hell it's doing. Right. Instead of having to learn about each other. Yeah, and well, and then, and so MIDI originally was designed for synthesizer to synthesizer communication, which means that it was like no on-off messages, velocity, stuff like that. Now, we know that MIDI gets used to interface with lights and all kinds of other crap yep. that, that they're in the music world. So they can modify MIDI now to not just be no on, no off. They can add communication messages. They can add all sorts of stuff. So like you can have like amp channel change. That could be well, a MIDI message. Yeah. Well, that's why I was asking about that because Instead I don't know if a program, you know, uh, so that you can go in and say, okay, look, I've got MIDI. It's coming down the line, but it's, there's yeah. a preamble. So it's for the, it's for the light system. It's not for the sound system. It's not for the guitar amp. Well, yeah, it could, I mean, it could be labeled. You could, instead right. of channels, you could literally like scroll through the labels of different devices that are connected. So it becomes a network at that point. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It would become a network device at that point. Yeah. A network language other than ethernet. It would be they're also increasing the number of MIDI channels from 16 to 256. Holy shit. So for those of you who are not inclined why Jim and I are like freaking out, what the channels, if you've never experienced MIDI in any way, what a channel is, is like, so say I'm on an arranger synthesizer, right? I can have 16 voices playing at once, which means that uh, I could have like strings and all kinds of, I could, I could arrange an orchestra, right? For 16 voices. Um, if I wanted to add a 17th, I have to have a whole other MIDI connection mm-hmm. system. And there have been devices where they had like MIDI port one and MIDI port two. Yep. So you could divide yep. them and, and send it out to different places. This yep. is not that. This, this is, you know, 16 simultaneous voices. Now you can have up to 256. And then you can use the channels to communicate with different devices. So like my device would be on channel one. We would be commuting in channel one. So now you could have up to 256 devices communicating, which means that these giant stage setups like Brad Paisley's using and all that, they can use MIDI to configure a lot of that. Yeah. That's huge. Well, they, Okay, so currently, I know this for a fact, and um, uh, the Shania Twain show is, is all MIDI control. So her stage show is 100% MIDI. Everything that everybody does is, is you know, to a click, and to a, um, a right, thing, right, kind of all MIDI, the lighting, the the you know the lights, the the video, everything. 
so all I can say is that's why I'm saying, holy shit, the control that you'd have with 256 MIDI uh, channels would just be stellar. You yeah. Can- well, I mean, even if they exchange, so like the resolution, so like, yeah. All right. If you play a keyboard hit, if you play one note in MIDI and you're using a note on note off, the yep. max resolution you get is you can, it sends a message out how hard you press. Yep. And that can be from zero. The number zero is like the lightest press, 127, yep. which is the loudest press. You think about that, 127 velocities is really significant. Mm-hmm. But now it's going to go higher. I don't know what it's going to be, but they could now theoretically make it. That would be almost infinite. Yeah. I mean, they could make it a thousand or, you know, yeah. because now we're in a different world. Like the right. stuff that we have is not not bound by the same things that they were when they created it. So. Well, that's why I was surprised when I, when I started reading about MIDI, you know, um, way, way back. And then recently I got into MIDI again. I was like, you're kidding me. It's, we're still on 1.0. And the other thing I can, I can imagine is they'll, they'll change that interface. Um, you know, you'll still have this, the old adapters and you'll have some kind of adaption to it, but kind of like we're doing with the uh, amp one and the, yeah, I mean, I could see them just making an Ethernet connection. Yeah, they'll go to Ethernet. They'll use Cat5. Well, right. I say Ethernet. Ethernet is a, for those who don't know, Ethernet is not a yeah, it's physical a, thing. Yeah, it could be Cat5e, Cat6. It could be any, you know, right. nine-pin or whatever connection. Right. or um, Twisted pair. Yeah, because that was one of the big gripes, and I've had I've had arguments with people on forums about it. Like, well, MIDI, this is MIDI, but it's communicating over tempering sleep. That's not MIDI. And they're like, right. well, no, but 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 it, it can respond to many messages, but you 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 don't understand. MIDI is a specification, right? And when they ratified that specification, they said, in order to use the MIDI logo on your device and to license the MIDI technology, you had to use a DIN connector, correct? Which is why they still have there is tip ring sleeve um, MIDI. I say MIDI communication. I, I'm stepping on. But what I, what was what is likely happening is it's so um, on off type yeah, stuff. They're not using program all- changes, and, or they have a they have an adapter box that you plug your tippering sleeve into to do the, the fantastic mini communication change channels and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. So because there's got to be something going on there that uh, like the the blue guitar doesn't have. To, I don't have to go out and buy a MIDI thing. I just buy a um, a MIDI connector. That goes from my amp one into the Helix. So each of the pins, each of the pins handles one of the types of communication from MIDI. So what they've done that all that connector is is probably connecting the TRS to the right end, yep. at right point where it's supposed to actually broadcast out. That's my guess because it doesn't care. Just because, right? And that's why I asked about the serial parallel thing is because just because you have nine digits doesn't mean you use nine digits for every word that you transmit. Well, more than likely, you're using. For like for like channel change, it, I mean, you could be using one of the the nine. So. <laughs> uh, but it's cool. I'm glad to see that they that they're actually doing something with it and not not forgetting about. It. I know that's not that's not necessarily a guitar topic. I'm very excited about it. I think if they actually do make that a reality, I think it's going to have massive ramifications on the on the guitar side of the industry. Well, I'm um, surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, so with with um, like Bradshaw units and stuff like that, you. We have a lot more um, automation and the and the desire to control our our pedals. Um, boss, we've talked about the Boss MS3. We've talked about the ES8. We've talked about the um, yeah. ES5. 
um, MIDI is still um, a valid way of communicating with certain pedals. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. MIDI, right? Yeah, a lot of the big ones do, the big boxes do. I think some of the small ones do too. I don't, I'm not sure if somebody, somebody knows. Wampler, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if Wampler pedals do out of the box. But I, oh, I thought you were saying Strymon. What Wampler well, pedals? First, yeah. No, right. Wampler pedals, if they have like an expression pedal input, oftentimes you can, with your switching system, feed out a signal to it, but it's not MIDI. Right. That's a completely different thing. Right. So, so it, anyway, yeah, that's what I was asking. Anyway, uh, we're hitting our, uh, our mark here. So yep. uh, I hope you enjoyed our discussion of shit that doesn't belong with guitar and MIDI. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I hope we didn't swear too much for you tonight. Uh, we probably did. I I was a sailor this evening, just like Jim. Except for my fucking Jim, drummer. Jim was a real Jim was a real sailor. Yeah, I went right off on that. Guy. I, I he's rubbing off on me apparently. Uh, so I swear like one now. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, so as I flip through my Sweetwater magazine here, and Jim has probably choked on all his eyes. Uh, we have been the practical guitarist tonight, and uh, so that you know that's the thing. Yes, we have. Thank you.